Uh, all right. Well, I believe we are now going. Okay. Yeah, all right. This is good. Okay. Um, sorry. In hello. Advance. No, wait. I have to apologize. It's the only time this is ever going to happen. Uh, I want to apologize for my mic quality. I'm in undisclosed location, and uh, hmm. I promise you, I'm getting a travel mic and travel XLR mixer. Uh, so this is the last time, um, God willing. Yes, Alice. Why, why, why is your location turned to Mount Weather, Virginia? Oh, uh, so here's <laughs> the thing: is that's wrong. Actually, I'm in the Raven okay. Mountain complex. Yeah, uh, we're at the local uh, CIA, uh, FBI, <laughs> DEA uh, wellness retreat. And uh, right after this, we're going to go uh, enhanced interrogate uh, our clown merchant who ripped us off, if you know what I mean. Because of the like reciprocity agreements, after they turned the Greenbrier into a bunker, they had to turn one of the bunkers into a luxury hotel and spa, and they did that at Raven Rock. So, yeah, that uh, makes sense to me. Well, yeah. According to Liam's mic quality, Raven Rock is now a gamer dungeon. I'm in western <laughs> yeah. Pennsylvania is where I am. Site, site R for relaxation. Yes, I'm... I'm. Here's the thing, right, is that when I mercilessly beat a 12-year-old child to death, I do it properly. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Um, Sorry, that was tennis. Welcome. I'm changing it to my second input so I can watch the slides on my television. The future is now. This uh, is true. Welcome to Well, There's Your Problem. It's Shut a up. podcast about engineering disasters with slides. I'm Justin Rosnick. I'm the person who's talking right now. My pronouns are he and him. Okay, go. I am Alice Caldwell Kelly. I'm the person who's talking now. My pronouns are she and her. Yay, Liam. Yay, Liam. Hi, I'm Liam Anderson. I'm your least favorite host, but uh, suck my fucking dick. Uh, <laughs> guy who guy who left a review on this podcast on podchaser.com just to get mad at me. Uh, uh, so, sorry, podchaser. I think it's podchaser. Yeah, podchaser. <laughs> yeah, it has nothing to do yeah, with trans it's, people, it's shockingly only, enough. It's, it's <laughs> only for podcasts with trans people on Star Wars right, yeah, one yeah, reference. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I call pod chasing. But yeah, I just to you specifically, I say, how does my dick taste? Hmm. And I can hear hmm. myself, so I'm gonna turn me down a what, little bit. What is what does this say battery's bottom text? This is this is a disgusting betrayal we have, of Italy month. We have a we have a We're guest done Italy as well. month. Actually, What's... uh Tom from uh Tom from uh, 10,000 Losses, uh, Big Shouts Tom Payne, uh, was just like, please tell me Italy month was over. And I was like, I think it is, Tom. It was horrible. We should just turn into an Italian disasters podcast. <laughs> we, we also have a guest today. No, we don't. Yeah, we Hello, do. that would be me. Shut I up. talk about <laughs> train cities and other garbage on the internet. Uh, my name is Alan. Uh, he, him, dude, whatever. So, nice. Is Hello. it he, him, or any? That was very. Uh, that, that was confusing. Dude. He, him, but also just dude. Uh, is, is dude the, the, the is, pronoun is, is dude? Yes. yes. Yeah. Is is dude a pronoun? Because yeah, it's it is a neo a way, pronoun. It's a neo pronoun, it is bro. A, that'll do it. Yeah. Um. Before, so today, today we have a, a slide that says batteries. Um, text. We're actually we're going to be a little bit more invented in Italy. Great Italian yes. invention. I'm going to. Yeah. Force this into the paradigm of Italy month. This is the this is like the the legacy of uh, Galvani and Volta here. I I I mean I mean, it's September. August was Italy month. We're recording this in September. 
Uh, no. Italian month is in is in your heart, Alice. I think. Yes. Yes. Uh, that's also, true. congratulations uh, to my dad for not dying in August. Oh, congratulations, uh, yeah. Liam's dad. That's um, always a good thing. Yeah, uh, today we're, we're we're specifically going to talk about the concept of battery electric locomotives. They don't why work kind and they're of bad. A, and shut up. A, 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 a silly idea. Ah, um, we finally you know, got another trains episode. They're gadget bonds, yeah. Alan. You know this. Yeah, we got we got another train episode. You sick fucks. You we know exactly. you want it. <laughs> and, and we're gonna we're gonna try and avoid some of the well trodden territory around batteries, like. Uh, um, let's say resource extraction or something like that. This is going to talk a lot about, you know, railroad operations and why battery locomotives are likely to have a hard time competing with uh, diesel locomotives for a while and likely will never outperform traditional electric locomotives. Hmm. Why and they're a bad of, thing on the demand yeah. end rather than the supply end, if you will. Yes. Uh, and some of the ramifications of that. But uh, first we have to do the goddamn news. Oh, it's not going to be a fun news segment, this no, episode. No, this is not a good one. This is your future, everybody. Oh, it's your present. Uh, so, it's if you're familiar with... Yeah, I've uh, everybody. Yeah, the, 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 the city of Jackson, Mississippi. That's the state capital. It's home to 150,000 people. We've got a water network that services about 250,000 people. And that water network, uh, it doesn't work. And it's about to hit 90 degrees. Um, yeah. It, it it's um it it it's pretty crazy that you know you just let a water system go offline like this. Mm. Um, well, the, the sort of the the proximate cause of this is ironically enough flooding. Uh, the Pearl River flooded, and that destroyed all of the pumps at the city's one water plant. Yeah. Um, theoretically, this puts wow. two hundred and fifty thousand people under a sort of a, a boil water advisory, but the water There's pressure no is so water low to be had. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, the the water is there, but it can't get through the pipes, so you can't, you know, you can't, uh, you can't. We well, certainly can't drink it, but you can't shower, you can't flush your toilet, you can't fight fires with it. Uh, um, don't forget though that the governor uh, was it Tate Reeves or Reeves Tate uh, is getting water delivered to the exec executive mansion. Uh, yeah, in yeah. A big he, he literally has a, a a big tanker truck parked outside the uh, the state house. Um, and this is why, like, it's frustrating when I'm sure we've all seen it is when some gigabrain liberal will be on Twitter or whatever. And they'll say like, Oh, we, we, why should we care about the people in the red States? And it's like, well, these are the people you should be caring about that well, yes. get fucked over. Is so. it Mississippi yeah, the blackest state or is it Alabama? It, it, it is. Uh, and Jackson, two, yeah. Jackson is both blacker and poorer than Mississippi on average. It's a it's a classic example of white flight in the sixties and seventies, exactly. decimating the tax base and the state ripping all of the services out of the city, uh, leaving all of the resulting poverty and suffering to black people, and then now getting the feds to clean it all up after them. Um, so you've got the national guard deployed. That there's not that much they can do other than delivering pallets of bottled water. Uh, the, the the federal government's on the hook for like seventy five percent of the funding to to fix all of this shit. Um, it's frustrating because it's like it, it's it, tons of cities in the south are like this, where you've seen just money just drained out of the cities into the wealthy white suburbs, where mm -hmm. it's just like uh, where you see like tax policies and different things where they once in a while are like, whoopsie, didn't mean to do that. When it's like obvious, like yeah, that was the whole plan all the like the entire time. So. I think. 
I think Mississippi's like uniquely bad in that respect. Um, cause even in like Alabama, you know, they have the, the big Alabama pension fund there has been making major investments into city oh, yeah. centers. I mean, places like Birmingham and Mobile are very much on the upswing. Uh, Jackson is not, mm-hmm. um, it's not seen any form of like, you know, it, it, it's still very much in decline. They don't even have gentrification there. They haven't invented it yet. Um, yeah. no, I also and, want and to this... point out that we knew about these issues back in 2015, and it was supposed to cost anywhere from 750 to about a billion dollars, and uh, just didn't get fixed. And Alan, yeah. I, I did want to say to your point, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're a listener to this podcast, hopefully you sort of know better than that. Uh, obviously, oh, yeah. these poor black it's... people are getting fucked by the state and getting fucked by the government on purpose. And for you to say, well, who gives a shit? It's like poor black people are disproportionately suffering and they don't need you to fucking do white savior shit to them. Hmm. Yeah. And it's just frustrating. Cause it's like, I mainly the listeners of this podcast and most of the people here would know better, but it's the, just uh, the people we see on Twitter. That's just Twitter. Uh. Yeah. And, and w- as you said, this was a known issue. Uh, it, it basically happened in miniature last year, uh, February of last year. The water went out for weeks, uh, like 225 days. They had a boil water advisory. It was a state of emergency uh, seven years ago. I want to make that known. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, w- one thing you can do is uh, there's there's a group of uh, sort of local, like a group of groups, the Mississippi Rapid Response Coalition. They want like $2 million in donations. There's going to be a link in the description. Unfortunately, it will be an Act Blue link, so you will get a bunch of texts from Pete Buttigieg. Uh, <laughs> uh, you'll also, for some reason, get an email from Joe Biden's campaign yeah, that, where the yeah. subject line is all gas, no brakes, which at least <laughs> did, which gave me a laugh I like when it. I saw it, because I, don- I donate to Nayral, who uses Act Blue, and the Biden campaign, therefore, of course, got my, uh, my email address. But I did, I I did uh, get a chuckle out of Biden saying "all gas, no brakes." I was like, "All right," as someone who's incredibly like rolling, riding a bike downhill with no brakes constantly, that's also on fire. I dig this. Yeah, he's a literal accelerationist there. But yeah, yeah. So you you will get a bunch of emails from like Liz Warren at three in the morning, going like, "Your name, I need you." Uh, but it yeah, won't fucking... be it won't be what you think it is. You will have you will have a a a, a big structural bailey delivered to your house. Yes, but, <laughs> but, but do it anyway. Simply, you, you must suffer. This is this yeah. is your duty. Uh, in other very different news. Uh, too much water in Pakistan. Uh, a, a modest, a modest <laughs> the proposal. The way you said that really made me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> a, a modest proposal presents itself here. Um, so, so this is this is like an order of magnitude worse than the already horrible thing that we talked about up front. Uh, two um, orders of magnitude, actually. Oh, the thing is, I don't actually know how much an order of magnitude is. I just use it's it to a, mean a multi- lot. multiple of ten. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. Um. So if, if you're young enough, you're probably going to get to remember this as being one of, if not the first big climate change disasters of your lifetime, uh, and there are going to be many more to come. Uh, essentially, what happened is that Pakistan had a way too big monsoon season. Um, yes. You may recall in, in May of this year, uh, temperatures across the subcontinent, but including in Pakistan, hit sort of ridiculous numbers, uh, 120s or so. Um this was bad at the time, it killed some people at the time, but it has downstream effects, like 
melting a shitload of glaciers and making the soil much less absorbent and making the air much more moist. Um, and all of these things continued to sort of broil away. And then Pakistan gets hit with a, a massive low pressure system from the south and it floods. Um, specifically, it floods all of the low lying parts of Pakistan, which is where all of the agriculture is, where all the people is. Yes. Um, like all, all of the parts of the country that are habitable have been flooded. Yes, uh, yes. Um, like it, officially, something like one in seven Pakistanis have been like affected by this. I think that's a huge underestimate. That's an underestimate, very much so. Yeah, this is kind of um, and 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 one in seven means a lot of other people are going to start hurting because basic services are going to break down. Right. Yes. I mean this this is this is very it's very difficult to understate how bad this is for Pakistan. I mean yeah, this like, is like a crazy event. This is like imagine if I don't know, um. The entire East Coast of the United States was hit by a Category Five. That would be about the the uh, like from from like Washington to New York City. That's right. about the scale of this it's, disaster. It's one of those sort of uh, like apocalyptic, sort of higher order things that like presents a serious threat to the governability and habitability well, of thinking, the country. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, what about just I mean, malaria, dengue fever, uh, yeah. diphtheria, everything bad. Tetanus. We'll get there. Yeah, because right now, right, right now, the death toll is like one thousand two hundred, which is okay. terrible. However, it's it, it's it hasn't get stopped worse. raining. Right. Um, yeah. it, as of as of Friday, they were still telling people to evacuate because the Indus River is going to flood again. Jesus. Wow. Um, Execute Kylie some... Jenner by running her over with her own <laughs> private jet is what I'm saying. I read somewhere yeah. that pa Pakistan is responsible for something like 0.7% of global CO2 emissions. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, if, if you, uh, um, as, as we were saying, if you lived in, say, Sindh, uh, in May you were in one of the hottest places on Earth, and now you're underwater, and very much at risk of getting uh, any number of waterborne diseases. The one I was like most thinking of was cholera. Uh, and those the oh, ones that are... there was a cholera... Oh, no, oh, yep. the cholera outbreak was in Yemen, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, but th but those are sort of overwhelmingly like the really big killers numerically. Um, right. So uh, you're not going to have food. Is... So congratulations, you're dying of God knows yeah, what. I was, I was about to say you got very very a lot of fields underwater but, on account yeah, of this. Yeah. A lot of crops are just going to be unharvestable. And, of course, if you and, have and, cholera, and... there's going to be no water to drink. So congratulations. It's fine. You oh, just yeah. you, you just buy your grain in from Ukraine. Oh, uh, well, oh no, no the, Ukraine. The other... <laughs> the other thing is the um the government of Pakistan uh th this is going to be familiar territory to you perhaps but they're not uh very competent at the best of times but um the IMF has also been holding a bailout back from them get fucked um, uh. <laughs> essentially uh like in relation to the the just ousted prime minister Imran Khan uh don't elect sports personalities as your leaders it never works out um, uh, Tom and, Brady, twenty twenty four. Yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> uh, but but in general, like this is one of those things that sort of defies individual charity. But you should still do it anyway. Uh, the UN High Commission on Refugees wants like a hundred and sixty million dollars worth of emergency funding. Uh, the link for that at least will not get Pete Buttigieg emailing you. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations! You get a, you get a, a sternly worded email from the IMF saying we. We can't give these people money. They have to learn. <laughs> Austerity. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It doesn't and work. This is, yeah. Yeah. And and this is 
you know, at, at some point in your lifetime, this will look quaint to you. So mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> uh, well, don't worry. In your was... lifetime, you will in fact live to see man-made horrors beyond your comprehension. Mm -hmm. Yes, this this is a man-made horror beyond your comprehension. It's in our like, lifetime, so don't worry, it counts. You 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 probably cannot get a clear understanding of this from the numbers or from news media. The the the, the totality of it fucking exceeds um, a, a lot of sort of ability to to understand it. Yeah, it's so. uh, it's pretty bad. bad. Uh, not, look, bad. not looking Portal good out weapon. there. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well. That was the goddamn news. Okay, so do, do we want do we want to tell them that it's going to be okay and that like you know yeah. sh should we cheer them up a bit? Okay, fuck them. So fuck I'm you. like a I'm like a deeply annoying pessimist or not pessimist <laughs> optimist. Excuse me. Um. So yeah, I honestly think it's going to be okay in the end. But the problem is, is that you have to deal with all the garbage first. Mm. Uh, literally and figuratively. Yeah. Uh, so. This is the part of the podcast where we devolve into shouting. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, okay. I, uh, not to get uh, too uh, too behind baseball here, but yeah, I I've become reluctantly so somewhat of an optimist because uh, if I'm too cynical, I'll fucking kill myself, and that's not really a joke. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, no, no, I know. Yeah, so I just like, I either have to not think about it at all, or I'm like, God willing, it's going to work out. I'm going to do my level best to be a good person. Uh, what happens next is between, uh, I guess, the universe and God. So, smartest, uh, smartest shit I ever did was become Muslim, right? Because what that did was essentially forestall any possibility of me killing myself. Don't know why. Not very res like religiously observant in a lot of other ways. But anytime I think about killing myself now, I'm like, oh, can't do that. God's gonna be mad at you. So now I just gotta deal with this shit, uh, which is in some ways healthier, and in other ways, it, like you know, it doesn't matter whether I'm an optimist or not. I'm I'm here for the fucking duration. I'm stuck with you. Guys. Yeah, yeah. After yeah, my gotta... after my third suicide attempt, I just was like, all right, fuck it. I can't even do this right. I guess I'll try to live a, a, a healthy life. I guess. <laughs> it's like a Dorothy Parker poem, you know. Uh, like I'm, like I'm here, I guess. <laughs> I just become like really existential sometimes, and then I'm like, hmm, maybe the crystal girls are right. <laughs> uh, Cut it. Cut this podcast. <laughs> all right, all right. W well, we're actually here to talk about railway uh, electrification rather than um, uh, committing suicide. Uh, pending suicide. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, Why is this so... guy fighting for the IRA? Down here, <laughs> <laughs> they had a lot of weird splinter factions in their yes. time. The IRA existed in California, it's a little known fact. Yeah. The R here stands for railroad. Yes. Let's talk about so Raid and how they did nothing wrong. Now. Okay. <laughs> why why do you why do you electrify a railroad? It's cool. Um keep in mind I'm talking about uh let's pretend pollution isn't an issue. Why do you electrify okay. a railroad? Uh, generally, electric locomotives are stronger than their contemporary partners. Yes, uh, that's a big part of it. You know, your steam locomotive was only good for about 100 miles, then you needed rewatering or refueling. That requires a bunch of elaborate facilities. You have whole towns that spring up just to refuel steam locomotives, right? Mm. So, like Thurmond, West Virginia, um, famous ghost town because... Because, uh, you know, th th these whole towns, like, disappeared the moment refueling uh, steam locomotives is no longer an issue. 
right? Yeah, of course. Uh, right. If, if steam locomotives had, you know, they are high maintenance. There's lots of moving parts, right? They could really fuck up in tunnels. If you stalled out in a tunnel, you were fucked. Congratulations, uh, you're asphyxiating. Yes, well, this is... Wait, well, is that what this guy's deal is? That's what yes. that guy is. So, basically, a lot of the Western railroads in the early days, and we'll, we'll get to this in one of the next slides, but basically, in the early days, uh, the Western railroads had a lot of tunnels, and they were had a lot of tunnels at high altitude that were really long. Um, and generally, the smart thing to do would you would have a tiny section of electrification where it's just like, oh, this gets you through the tunnels, and it's, it's good. Uh, but Southern Pacific was incredibly stubborn, um, and they didn't want to do that because capital costs, whatever, uh, bullshit. So instead, they came up with ridiculous ideas, including stuffing a guy into an asbestos-lined bag and feeding it with oxygen while you go through a tunnel. I, I would say yes. that one of the places I least want to have asbestos is on the inside of a respirator. Yeah. No. It's, it's just probably fine it's, it's as long spicy. as you don't breathe it in. Spicy air. <laughs> just hold your breath the whole way through. Yeah. Oh, that's going to make uh, me anxious to think about. Let's move on. So, you know, steam locomotives, they're dirty, they're dangerous, they're difficult to work with uh, at the best of times, right? So, well, there was an alternative. In 1752, Ben Franklin invented electricity, right? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Willfully disrespecting Italian month once again. This is true. Um, its initial applications were kind of unclear. Like, what can you do with this? I don't know. I can make a key uh, you can, you can... shine. I can, I can shock an intern. Yeah, I was gonna um, say you can kill one of Ben Franklin's friends. Well, if you're yeah. in Iraq, you could create a battery to impress the ladies, but that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, in 1884, electric streetcars were demonstrated for the first time. Only a few years later, the city of Scranton, Pennsylvania, had a fully electric uh, streetcar system. That's why they Getting call it the Electric City. Of Scrantonian yeah. progressivism culminating in the current president. It's true. Uh, Richmond, Virginia was another early adopter. Hey, Large-scale electric trains, though, were not proven feasible until the Baltimore and Ohio electrified the Howard Street Tunnel in 1895. Then the game was on, right? Um, so your basic workings here, you have your overhead electrification system is you have this bare-ass wire, right? That's, you know, it's a power line, right? It's hmm. held over the track at a constant elevation, you know, it's held in place by a messenger wire. That's the upper wire, right? And that forms a catenary curve between the two catenary hangers, right? A catenary curve is just the natural curve that any string will form when it's between two uh, two supports, right? Um, those are the, the wires held in place by hangers, right? Uh, a whole shebang is usually carrying current. And that's often 25 kilovolts uh, AC. Not always. There's lots of different electrification systems out there, <coughs> but 25 kilovolts AC is the best uh, is is the most often used one. It's a good standard. Yeah. Mm. And you, uh, what, what you do is you put a, a a pantograph on the top of the train to like yes. pull electricity down, right? Yeah. Exactly. And, and that's a, one of the hardest parts about um, overhead wire electrification is that you can have the hangers like Roz is talking about, but the issue with the hangers is that they can only clip onto the top and the sides of the wire because if they're clipping onto the bottom, your pantograph will snag them. So yes. one of the hardest parts about like electrification is designing the wires in a way where the hanger and the clip doesn't go under the wire. It's only just attached to the top. Um, 
I, I I can solve this immediately with cartoon logic, which is oh, behind I'm... the pant. So the pantograph just goes as normal. It smacks all of the hangers out of the way, but behind the pantograph, there's a little like hand on an extendable arm <laughs> that puts them back down <laughs> after it. Um, it's like the it's the Wallace and Gromit thing, except there's yeah, a exactly. <laughs> yeah. So um, as as you have higher speeds, these systems become higher maintenance. They become more complicated. Um, in fact, at the end of the wires. In order to compensate for uh, expansion and contraction, we have this contraption here. Um, this this keeps a it at a counterweight. Uh, so yeah, it's it's essentially just a counterweight, and it pulls on the contact wire in order to keep it at constant tension, regardless of um, you know the temperature, right? Uh, huh. And that's what they. Uh, it, it's it's essentially just a pulley, and they stole some weights from Gold's Gym, um, and <laughs> and that's. Uh, that's all it is, right? Um, Big wake, make wire stiff. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I lift things up and put them down. Uh, <laughs> but um, the the uh, yeah, hot and cold days. The wire is doing uh, sets of reps. Yes. Oh, is that what that is? <laughs> yeah. So lots of benefits to this electricity system, right? Uh, especially That's compared cool. to steam locomotives. Uh, you have no fuel on board your train. That makes stuff a lot simpler. Yeah, but you, constant... could, you could have done that with the old-timey thing of just having a steam plant on the line. Uh, yes, that's true. You could do like a uh, uh, an atmospheric railway. Uh, yeah. Um, Shooting some that, poor yeah. Irishman through at 120 that's miles per right. hour. <laughs> yeah. um, you have a constant power supply, which essentially can provide arbitrary amounts of power to the train. That means you can do fun things like short-term overload of the traction motors on the train, right? You can go up to like I think the GG1s were capable of 8,000 horsepower, but only wow. for like 30 seconds. Um, <laughs> talks. Yes, lots of, lots, of, lots of acceleration there. You have, lighter, the mm -hmm. you have lighter locomotives with less maintenance, at least in theory. There is an extent to which a locomotive has to be heavy in order to um, put traction onto the rails. Right, but, This is um, sort of the same have, concept like, as uh, a pickup truck, or uh, not a pickup truck, but a dump truck handling much better when the uh, sort of well, load is full? Yeah. Okay. Well, well, when your pickup truck does a burnout, that's cool. When a train does that, that's wheel slip, and that's, that's bad. Wheel slip, yeah, that's wheel slip, that's bad, it's very common. The, the car guy version of this is uh, having a rear engine car that the engine and the weight is over the wheels, so when you accelerate, you do less of a burnout. Thank mm. you, Alan. Yeah. That... that yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, my IQ is in the single digits, and I only understand <laughs> vroom vroom and exhausts. Understandable. Um, uh, sometimes making the train lighter is very important in the case of like high speed trains or like commuter trains that start and stop frequently. Then you want as light a train as possible, and then overhead electrification is very, very useful. That's um, when you do all wheel drive with EMUs. Yes, exactly. I mean, you look at a, you compare a locomotive to like a, a subway train. That's like a muscle car versus, you know, like a fancy European sporty type car. M5 versus yeah. Charger. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that works. Um, so, you know, uh, you do have disadvantages, which is this stuff is expensive to put up, uh, you know, and electric trains are only going to be able to run on electric lines, still much better than steam engines. And this was recognized fairly early on. 
you have, you have some problems, like if the line falls down, trains don't yeah. work. If the line gets twisted, the trains don't work. Trains don't uh, work, if, yeah. If you, if you snap off any of the hangers, the, the, the trains You're don't work. You're having a bad time, right? I, yeah. Question, though, because uh, I, I read through the notes ahead of time, uh, like 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 a good pupil, right? And yes. the, the, there's a form of electrification that we never address that's very common in the UK, which is third line electrification, yes. the terrifying yeah. one. Oh, if yeah. you want, I have a story with that if we go to the next slide. Yeah. I I'm setting rail. up for that. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, then let's do that. Uh... Um, I, so I, I put this one together. But ba yeah, what Roz was saying before, the Baltimore and Ohio was on, it was actually the first in the world to electrify, uh, which is saying a lot for a country that doesn't have much electrification anymore. Um, but basically, they had sort of a third rail but it was just above the locomotive and there was just like kind of a carrier wheel that just kind of like rode on it um huh. and and that was just that was just a a short thing for when um they wanted to get out of baltimore through one of the tunnels and they didn't want the steam locomotives to choke out everyone and the passengers so i i, I like it a hell of a lot better having the the electrified rail be not where i can fall onto it is the mm -hmm. thing oh well so the bottom right image is in South Jersey, and that's on the Pennsylvania Reading shorelines. And um, that specifically, I love that image because it's in uh, the town where I grew up, Pittman. Um, but the, the, the funny story about this one is it mainly had third rail, just like the, um, the British Southern trains. Uh, yeah. Um, it mainly had third rail, just like the British Southern trains. And, but the funny part was... Uh, and it sucks nowadays because there, a there's no passenger trains on this section anymore, and there's no electrification obviously anymore. Um, but when these were running, uh, they were third rail powered, but there was a uh, section of the track that wasn't third rail powered. It had like trolley wire, so these ha could do both. Huh. Um, and the reason why is because um, there is a town along the main line. This went from Camden to Vineland in South Jersey. And there was a town along the main line called uh, Gloucester City. And the mayor of Gloucester City eventually banned the use of third rail because it if you look up like old newspaper clippings, it fried like a dog and hurt like a kid. <laughs> so <laughs> not good. Um, but the PRSL uh, being like early 1900s railroad, and, and technically it wasn't even the PRSL at that uh, point, but being like early 1900s railroad, doing the most logical things to skimp on money. They didn't put the trolley wire up for like three or four years. And instead, during that period of three or four years, they just didn't stop in Gloucester City. And they would just, before they went through Gloucester City, they would get up to about 60, 70 miles an hour. <laughs> and then they would just fly through the town with no power. <laughs> just exiting on the Little other side. fingers up. <laughs> yeah. And they would just exit on the other side of Gloucester City and then get the third rail again, going probably about like 50 miles an hour, bleeding off the speed in between. Uh, but eventually uh, they, they had to put wires up because, you know, you're missing out on a few passengers there. So you might as well stop. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, so. I, I do love that you can do that with with third rail and like put in put in those gaps. But like, okay, but why isn't it practical? Why can't you have these big long third third rail like electrified railways and save yourself all of the time and maintenance of, this is a, of all of these overhead lines? Stations every five minutes. It's a fun. It's a fun electricity problem, right? Which is hmm. 
you know, if you have, uh, you know, modern, modern electrification, you, you, you run at high voltages. That means you have very little current you have to deliver. That means you have very little current loss, right? Hmm. Uh, if you have a third rail, that's down next to the ground. You can't do high voltages, right? Which means you need a lot more substations because you're losing a lot more current because you're pushing so much through the rail. Um, you also can't use AC traction with those or AC current because of the skin effect where the, all the current really concentrates towards the outside of the rail and that reduces the, you know, the carrying capacity. Electricity um, is fucking weird. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. in short, it, 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 it was, it was tried for long distance uh, service pretty early on. And obviously it works, it works in Britain, um, but it's more expensive uh, and mm. requires more equipment than uh overhead line although it is definitely less delicate i will give it that and that's why they use it on like subway systems and stuff okay um, so it's, yeah. it's a specific it's a, it's a tool in the toolbox right but for mm -hmm. like large scale like main line railways you need you need the overhead spicy cable yeah yes. and and some of the first uh implementation of that in the u.s uh would be the um the Penzi on the keystone corridor uh, which they electrified that in 1915. And they, the Penzi, um, before the GG1, the Penzi was known to have some wacky electric locomotives. They had so many like different prototypes and, and weird freight and passenger amalgamations of box cabs. Um, but the funny thing about the Keystone is uh, that picture of the GG1 is not on the Keystone. That's like one of the branch lines. But the, uh, the funny thing about the Keystone is that the current electrification and the current catenary poles that exist nowadays for like uh, SEPTA and the um, Keystone trains is that that's the same catenary poles from like oh, way back in the no. day. Oh, <laughs> yeah. They really just built like the railway in like 1910. They built it then, one time. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, this is good. It's fine. This nothing needs changing. Nope. And yeah. they were right. They were right to do it. <laughs> uh the the funny part is is that uh, around the same time uh, slightly slightly later i think it was like 3 or 4 years later the uh the new haven electrified from new haven in new york city and they also did ac power um and but the weird part was the uh, new haven had these like crazy triangle catenary wires that like yep. were suspended in this crazy like uh almost it looked like a trapeze sort of thing and uh, unfortunately, that's not there anymore because taking care of that was just way too much money. Um, but there was a lot of different ideas uh, in the beginning. I don't know if the wire on the Keystone is the same. It's probably not the same wire, but the catenary poles are the same wire, are the same same fixtures. Yeah, wires. Um, the wires are essentially consumables. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Although um, they're copper, they're very easy to recycle. Um, <laughs> and steel. And uh, the that's other why there's example, no electric trains in Zimbabwe. Yeah, it's, it's why there's barely any electric trains in Britain. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> that, there was there was an electric uh, train system set up in Zimbabwe, and then 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 someone stole all the wires overnight. <laughs> Maze, we didn't get to that in the Rhodesia episode. Yeah, I I didn't know about it at the time. I found it while I was researching for this one. <laughs> Just uh, it's a. Uh... The law of attrition of stealing electrified wire. It's uh, you let the first one or two guys go and they get kind of zap zap. And then the rest of the guys are like, oh, my wire. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. just desecrate this corpse and I'm ready it's, to go to market. It, 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 it's a great criminal scheme for two thirds of the guys doing it. 
exactly and then the other um the the one oh my god one of the most common comments you see online on railroad forums or just people that don't know about like railroad electrification or just railroad history is that when you talk about it they're always like but america is too big for electrification like you can't no, we're do not. it shut up you can't do it across the crazy distances blah that's, blah, that, blah, that, blah that's me i'm saying that and uh <laughs> There's two examples which I always point to. Um, the the example that's not on here right now is obviously uh, the Soviet Union. Yes, um, uh, this, <laughs> I've heard of this place. I know it's it's a weird country no one knows about. Uh, existed a while ago. Uh, and then the other one is the um, the other Soviet Union, which is the Milwaukee Road. Uh, <laughs> Which the Milwaukee Road Two is similarly dismal, oppressive systems <laughs> characterized by authoritarian governance. That both look like Montana, yeah. Uh, and uh, the Milwaukee Road, a uh, little background, is a railroad that was based out of Chicago. They had a bunch of different freight lines and passenger lines raiding out of Chicago, but they had this massive brain idea that, hey, all the other uh kind of midwest western railroads that are super big and super powerful have like a connection to the west coast we should do that too and they made the pacific extension to their network which is basically like it's that one time when you're playing minecraft and you sort of walk in the straight line for a really long time and like you look at the map later and th the map looks normal except for that one straight line <laughs> that was that was essentially the Milwaukee Rose Network because it had this normal stuff around Chicago, then one line that just went forever in the one direction, all the way up to Seattle. Um, it was like, it was like the, the Voyager probe. Yeah. Yes. It was like it was the best engineered transcontinental line by a country oh, mile. You're gonna start some um, arguments online yeah, with that. It was it was, but it didn't go near anything. Oh yeah, yeah. So there was not a lot of not a lot of online traffic. Too, there was, uh, <laughs> you know. If you wanted to ship something from Chicago to Seattle, it was great. If you, but but there was nothing from points in between or very little traffic. So you know, if you, yeah, you, Boeing wasn't invented yeah. yet. So like, why would you need to ship anything to or from Seattle? Exactly. This is true. And North yeah, Seattle was invented Seattle. by then, probably. <laughs> Seattle was kind of a backwater. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, still is. Fuck you, Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you have a basketball team? Oh, not anymore. It's the Howard Schultz empire. Uh, it's I will, just little Schultzies running around. I will never be more mad that their football team has a name now. It's not just the football team. They should have just kept that. <laughs> um. But yeah, the, the Milwaukee Road, um, it, part of their main line, like I said, uh, some of the Western railroads, uh, mainly like the Great Northern and some of the other ones, when they went through really long tunnels, they generally tried to electrify so they could avoid uh, just suffocating their crews in long tunnels. Um, the Milwaukee Road took this to a longer extent, where it was just like, well, if we're going to electrify through these tunnels, we might as well electrify across this entire section. So they ended up electrifying, I think, like 460 miles through Montana and Idaho uh, through some of like pretty much the most like hostile terrain in certain areas. Uh, and um, they, they electrified not with AC, but with 3000 volt overhead DC, um, which is an interesting choice, but it was back in the early 1900s when AC wasn't like as known 
So it was sort of like the, the easier choice to go with. And unfortunately, unlike modern railroads nowadays, uh, they actually used hydropower. So back in 1917, they were completely like green powered trains. <laughs> uh, there's, an, there's an apocryphal story that when the first train went over the Rocky Mountains, owing to the, um, owing to the regenerative braking, when the train got to the end of the division, um, the electric company owed the Milwaukee Road something like $13.07. <laughs> it's great. And uh, uh, the th Alice, the thing you'd like about this is any rail fan kind of knows the story here, but basically mm. after World War II, uh, the United States was kind of the place to go to if you wanted a really, really powerful electric locomotive. We had like cool. GE, Westinghouse, and like a few other really weird ones. Oh, did the uh, Soviet Union buy some then? And yeah, and the Soviets yes. were like, the Soviets were buddy-buddy with us after World War II. So they were like, oh, well, can we have some of those? Because we're electrifying now that we're rebuilding. And so we build these locomotives. Um, I forget the specific name for them. But GE builds these locomotives um, that have these nice streamlining with the kind of like similar kind of EF unit looking uh, cowling on them. And uh, we're going to ship them over uh, to the Soviet Union. But unfortunately, in the late 40s, as you know, we kind of stopped being buddy-buddy with the Soviets. Oh. And uh, these, all these locomotives that we, GE was going to ship over is stuck in the United States. And the Milwaukee Road and some of the other uh, electrified um, Midwest Western routes were kind of like, well... I guess we should buy these and to uh, become the Soviet Union. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And because they were originally destined for the Soviet Union, the American crews named them Little Joes. So the Little Stalins. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah. So the Little Joe is one of the most yeah. famous uh, American electric locomotives um, that you can like easily point to. Yes. Uh, so, so we have this, this big legacy of electrification sort of in the, uh, in the, um, like the late 30s through really even into the 50s. Um, the question is, what happened, right? Well, Americans, happened, you, you, you love developing technological legacies and then destroying and them. And then shitting all over yeah. them, yes. Okay. That's what we're best at. So let's talk about oil and the problem with oil. Uh, everything's going to oh. be oil again, isn't it? The, Goddamn Drake's well, you son of a bitch. <laughs> the, the fundamental problem with oil is that it's really good. Right, it, it, it puts uh, it puts a lot of energy into. There, there's a, a lot of There's a lot of energy in a very little volume. Um, it just comes out of the ground. Yeah, you, you drill a hole and it comes out on its own. It doesn't um, kill you as much as the thing that's like an order of magnitude up in terms of energy density, which is uranium. Yes. Um, um, you know, you you it comes out of the ground on its own, and you burn it for energy. It's basically free. A lot of times, you don't even need a pump. That's changing pretty rapidly now. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the the Saudis are having a lot of trouble pumping oil right now. I've heard, but mm. <laughs> you know, this is uh, while it lasted, it was while, a great while it system. lasted, yeah. it was fantastic, right? It literally tasted sweet. Yes. So. Diesel locomotives are sort of used as switching engines pretty early on because the engines are pretty weak. They were not like uh, super duper, you know, they, they weren't ready for the prime time, right? Mm. Uh, it takes a while for the technology to mature until Electromotive Division, which is a division of General Motors at this time, they come out with this thing called the F unit in 1939, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that was when it was all over, at least for the steam locomotive. It was delayed slightly by the war, of course. 
Um, and uh, your diesel locomotive is very similar to an electric locomotive, except that there's a big diesel engine in it. That big diesel engine turns a turbine. That turbine creates electric, not a turbine. It turns, it turns an alternator. Um, and then it, uh, that creates electricity. It sends the electricity down to traction motors that are in the wheels, right? And it makes um, a hell of a noise. It's really makes cool. A big, makes a big noise. It's cool. Uh, they look great. F units look fantastic. Um, you know, but you do, you do carry fuel on board. You do have higher per unit maintenance costs than an electric locomotive because you got an engine in there to maintain and engines are complicated. It also makes pollution, but railroads don't care about pollution. No, uh, it makes a hell of a no. lot less pollution than the steam locomotive. Right. Um, the other thing is you had multiple unit control, so you could just have some cables that went from one locomotive to the other. And all these locomotives can be controlled by a guy in this cab, right? You don't, because steam locomotives, you needed a crew for each locomotive. That's why they got so invested in making really big ones that mm. cuts down on crew costs. Um, diesels, you can just lash up an arbitrary amount. Boom, you have uh, as much power as you need. Yeah, right? th thus the big long coal train that has like five or six of these at the front. Mm -hmm. right, the question is, we really move towards diesels in the United States as the primary form of motive power. This does not happen elsewhere in the world. Uh, and why is this? Well, sticking my hand up here, you had oil. Like, you, you yes. had it, like, in the United States. It was just there. You didn't have to buy it from anyone. did have a lot of oil. It was very cheap. But I think a big, a big aspect of it, and, like, Soviet Union had oil, too. They still electrified. Um... The big part of it is our railroads were largely privatized or entirely oh. privatized, right? Uh, they were private railroad companies. They competed with each other. And I'm doing air quotes right now under competed because it was a lot of a very cartelized industry always has, probably always will be. <laughs> and uh, as uh, private companies, they hate the words capital costs. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, they we're have coiling to... in horror <laughs> from spreadsheets. Yeah, exactly. They have to not just cover their own costs, but they have to make a profit and they have to make a really big profit, right? Investing in infrastructure does not return a profit except over some future time, which, yuck, I don't know. Yeah. Let me the, worry the about next quarter. The sustainability of your own business is, is, yeah. is not like, that's not good business sense, caring about that. Well, this was always a fun, fun aspect of the Pennsylvania Railroad. They had very creative accountants, right? They called their electrification program maintenance. Right, which thus allowed them to count it as operations uh, spending as opposed Hell to capital yeah. spending, and that nice. meant, of course, uh, they could just say, "Well, we took a pretty big loss this quarter. I guess we're not going to pay taxes." Um, <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, the the ICC cracked down on this at some point, and the pace of electrification slowed dramatically after National that. Criminal court. Uh, the the interstate yeah, the commerce, the oh, interstate yes. commerce commission. It. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's this sort of general expectation that in the industry that electrification was inevitable even in the 1950s even with the cheap oil it was still cheaper to operate electric locomotives than diesel ones right um, but no one wanted to be the first railroad to make the investment right the industry as a whole it's sort of like you know you know how penguins will crowd at the edge of a cliff until one of them falls Just off waiting for someone to go yeah, and then one of them falls off, and the rest of the penguins see if they get eaten by an orca or not, right? 
um, <laughs> to see well, if railroads it's, work similarly. Yeah. Railroads work very similarly. They were all crowding up to the edge, but someone had to go first because there were to some get cli- eaten by an orca to get eaten by an orca or not. Um, likely not. I think if anyone had electrified at this point, they would be they would be a dominant player in the industry basically forever. Um, they all wow. scared each other out of it. Yes, exactly. I mean, the only oh the God. only railroad with like a Not really standard. yeah, there's there was a couple. You know, the Milwaukee Road had an electric district. The Pennsylvania had an electric district. Uh, but that was really, you know, that uh, all of these were like short sections of much larger railroads as opposed to, you know, a, a wide railroad. scale electrification yeah. program. And I think I think if the Pennsylvania Railroad had got the wires as far as Pittsburgh, we'd be living in a very different world. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's that. And if the Milwaukee ended up electrifying all the way to Chicago. Yeah. It, it, other railroads would have been forced to make these investments once someone had dramatically lower operating costs as a result. Um, in, the, in the meantime, while the industry is uh, psyching itself out of this, diesel electric technology rapidly advances. You got bigger and more powerful locomotives. A good deal of the benefits of electrification are realized simply by doing nothing, right? Uh, but this takes decades, right? And even modern diesels aren't capable of some of the stuff that early electric locomotives could do, like regenerative braking or short-term overload attraction motors or something like that. They do have right, regenerative it's, it's, systems. It's just that they can't use that electricity. They just burn it off in a big radiator in the back of the locomotive. Um, it's, it's literally, it's another lost technology. Yes. Um, right. I miss curbs. Mm, me too. <laughs> you have, I think you we have, all do. Yeah, yeah. We have a, 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 this big locomotive industry for a long time. You have Electromotive Division of General Motors. You have GE Transportation. For a while, you have Alco and Baldwin Lima, right? Um, note that uh, Lima Locomotive Works is in Lima, Ohio. It's Lima in Ohio, but Lima in Peru. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it will never make sense. Don't worry about exactly. it. Exactly. Um, you know, they provide all kinds of motive power, right? Um and it looks like, okay, maybe maybe this dieselization thing is here to stay until the energy crisis. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. that thing where everybody <laughs> realized that, hey, maybe we, uh, you know, need to come up with alternate sources of, of energy and then yeah. forgot to do, ever do any of that. Forgot to do it, yeah. Crazy, because, like, not like something like that happened recently or anything. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, in the in the 70s and 80s, there was kind of a re-push, mainly the 70s, but there was kind of a re-push to electrify stuff again. Yeah. Um, the map that's shown up here, um, it, it says 70s, but some of these, like, routes were from uh, older sections from when they have just were talking about it forever. Like, obviously, the Harrisburg to Pittsburgh section is there that the Penzi wanted to do forever. Sad. Yeah. Um, the 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 big ones though are the longer distance ones that either the Santa Fe, the Southern Pacific um, routes wanted to be. Um, specifically, like uh, the one of the image in here is a E60 uh, or E60 concept image for the Southern Pacific. Uh, and what's sad about these is that a lot of the manufacturers at the time really thought that this would happen. Um, because not only did they create like concept images and everything, they actually, uh, uh, GE started building like E sixties, which are the, uh, freight electric freight locomotives. And they, they had like actually like a backlog of these things for a bit because they thought these electrification <laughs> things were going to happen. Um, and 
they they built a lot of uh they built a decent number of these e60s and then suddenly they realized like oh i guess this isn't going to happen we we made the yeah. commercial mistake of thinking that anything was going to get better yes yeah <laughs> and and they they had like they haphazardly sold these to amtrak and uh, the national railroad of mexico later on in like the late 80s 90s uh, Amtrak, it wasn't uh, wasn't the best locomotive for Amtrak because it was a freight locomotive that was like kind of adapted to be a passenger locomotive. Um, kind of. I I love <laughs> the E60s. They're bricks. They look they look good. Uh, but just yeah, they they weren't the best passenger locomotives. Um, and yeah, it's frustrating because like the the Santa Fe routes, the the long one from Chicago to LA, almost happened. It. It was so close to being happened. And if you talk to any like older boomer foamer or boomer historian around that era, this is like their terrible like 9-11 moment because <laughs> it, it went it went as far as getting like there was a whole energy bill that basically went through the Senate and House in the 70s. And a big portion of it was passed but then a section of it later was trying to get passed and it got all the way to reagan's desk and unfortunately as we know uh when you look back everything bad happened around reagan and reagan vetoed yes. that section of the bill uh so uh this was because, the specific point of divergence set us onto the bad timeline yes. yeah and 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 the reagan era in the 80s in general just saw kind of a like disinvestment in infrastructure and like disregarding highways because mm, mm, highway, yeah. but like the, the uh, everything else, uh, <laughs> yeah, everything else was sort of uh, kind of put on the back burner. Like, ah, we don't need to spend money on that. Uh, no, no, it's fine. Uh, but yeah, every every manufacturer sort of got into this. I mean, along with GE, EMD also built some test units. Um, the one here in the middle image uh, with sort of the um, yellow and gray sort of primer scheme is uh, is a test unit that was sent to the Penzi later Conrail, I mean, Penn Central and then Conrail um, to test, uh, to replace their E44s. Mm. And they were oh. actually fantastic. And if you read about uh, them, they were really good. There was also a second unit that was built that had a weird truck configuration. It had a, um, had a BBB truck configuration, meaning there was three trucks with one in the middle. Um, I always do not like that truck configuration because that's like a mechanical standpoint. What happened when go around corner? I don't like it. Yeah, <laughs> don't, don't worry about it. You know. Yeah, but uh, stretch lower. Yeah, it's uh, they, they were really good though because they were really powerful and really reliable. But it's just like EMD realized with Conrail that the electrification probably wasn't going to get expanded, nor was it probably going to continue because later on Conrail and Amtrak kind of had problems working together with each other because generally you should separate freight and passenger lines. So uh, Conrail was sort of inadvertently kicked off of the Northeast Corridor and thus they had a lot less electrification miles. So um, they they switched over to diesel instead and actually dewired a good portion of their network um, and you can still see a lot of these uh, old electrified sections, mainly the uh, one of the longest ones is the Port Road section, which is from the mouth of the Susquehanna all the way to Harrisburg. Uh, that was all electrified and now it's not. Yes. Uh, but yeah, this this was like the one hopeful moment that kind of was 
dashing yeah. and passing yeah. and American railroading. So yeah, could have had something nice. But... Yeah, could have had something nice, but nope. Could have, could nope, have had we can't. Sort of pleasant breaks. Yeah. No, uh, fuck you. Sorry, this mm-hmm. this did. This You're did in get... America. You don't get anything nice. You don't get healthcare, but we do get a shit ton of B twos. Yes. <laughs> uh, so you have. I mean, this is how close you got. Um, this is actually a section of uh, catenary the Union Pacific put up. I forget exactly when, um, but it was probably seventies, eighties. Um, and uh, this was just a test section to see how it would handle in the desert. Right. And of course, underneath that, we have the big uh, FEF uh, steam locomotive on an excursion. Um, probably the only time you'll see that locomotive underwire. Um, you complain about diesels underwire. He's here's a steam locomotive underwire. Well, if, it, if it shows up in Denver, <laughs> you might. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, now, this thing called climate change is happening now. Right. It has been happening for quite a while. And railroads are already an extremely environmentally friendly way to ship pretty much everything. Probably a good idea to consider the environmental damage caused by burning so much diesel, right? Sure. Now, as as you say, a diesel train is like a million times better than a shitload of trucks to transport. This is the true. Same thing. This is absolutely yeah. true. But the, the most top... polluting diesel train that you could yeah. you could make. I think Tom Coletti and I did a um, we did some back of the envelope math about transporting the the relative environmental uh, uh, impact of. Uh, you know, a, a a steam locomotive with X number of passenger cars versus transporting those people in Teslas. Um, and oh, it, wow. it breaks even at around 10 cars. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, it was very back of the envelope math, though. It wasn't like a serious thing. Anyway, so top three diesel consumers in the world in reverse order. Union Pacific Railroad, Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railroad, and the U.S. Army. <laughs> uh, so there is there is a lot of room to improve through electrification of railroads, but at this point, there's less of excuses not to electrify conventionally, right? Capital uh, cars. So well, we're working on electrifying the U.S. Army first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so. We're gonna we're gonna put up uh, trolley poles for the tanks. Um, <laughs> gonna have a trolley m4 <laughs> it's a big extension cord wait no is what is the abrams m4 or m1 m1 m1, m1. excuse me everything in the army is m1 just, it's m it just, yeah it's m1 yeah. The, the m is for military yeah and the one is for it is it is the one thing that they use yes That's the first one yeah yes so all right you got some issues here and and a lot of them are caused by excess height cars right you got clearance issues. Um, lots of clearances need to be raised to accommodate wires, right? Um, you can see this is a double stack container train, right? And it's very tall because there's two and containers stacked on top of each other. And it's now, making me nervous because it's right up close to the thing. It yep. is right up close <laughs> to the wires, impossible. yes. Oh, jeez. Um, and this is, it's, it's generally a... Um, double you know, stack under wire? Impossible. It, this it is a can be damage. done. It can be done. The issue is um, a lot of the United States is has railroads which are currently, you know, you're up at the bleeding edge of the tallest cars you can shove through a tunnel or under a bridge, right? Um, mm, this is this sure. is a diagram here of AAR plate H, right? Uh, plate H allows for cars up to twenty feet tall. Um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> so. 
you know, there was a lot of headroom on a lot of lines and railroads decided to capitalize on that. Stacking containers too high on a train is more efficient than one high. You can get double the amount of containers on the same train, uh, less than double, actually, because the cars need to be longer because there's a, a well so the lower container can sit lower. Right. But they made use of all this headroom. Um, uh, that means there's not enough room for wires without a lot of expensive infrastructure investment to raise clearances even higher than they already are. Capital you, know, you might costs. have, yeah, pretty serious <laughs> capital costs in you know <laughs> at, at least in in urban areas. Yes, I think in more rural areas, like I bet you could probably go from like Omaha to like Denver and like raise like three overpasses total. But <laughs> oh, yeah. you know. It's, it's probably, that's, that, that's still externalities. Yeah, that's you know? an externality, yeah. Um, so, well, no, actually, that's not an externality because the railroad would have to pay for that. That's um, an in, I, I don't it's know. A, yeah, it's the opposite of an externality. <laughs> Internality. <laughs> Exoality. Yeah. So every overpass and tunnel really becomes a chore if you want to keep using excess height cars. Um, one solution, of course, would be to stop using excess height cars. But uh, railroads really don't want to do that, right? Railroads on all those containers of sex asses. Yeah. Well, you have to run. You have to run more trains, and uh, we'll get to that being a problem in the next slide. Uh, Railroads really like their double stacks and their auto racks and their excess height boxcars to the point where uh, Nacional de Mexico, in obviously Mexico, uh, ripped off the wires, baby. Yeah, they they the. They electrified its very high density freight corridor between um, Mexico City and uh, Carretaro. Yeah, they were, they were okay, also going enough, to electrify yeah. a line from the Pacific to the Gulf Coast to do like a to do a competitive Panama Canal sort of thing. But right, that's, yeah, that's another story. That is another story. But you know, okay, so they got this line up and running. They were going to extend that further as well. Um, they had. Two pretty nasty accidents pretty early on, which was uh, not good. This this whole this whole charade is going to be an episode at some point. I want to do, but um, pretty shortly afterwards, yeah, pretty pretty shortly afterwards, this whole thing was privatized. Um, the railroads were privatized, and the new owner, which was TFM, I forget what that st- stood for, but uh, uh, it was pretty quickly changed to uh, yeah, but, pretty quickly yeah. changed to Kansas City Southern de Mexico. And right. uh, Ferromex. Yes. And they, they pulled down the wires that were brand new so they could run double stacks on that line. God damn um, it. Yeah. Um, and double stacks are not incompatible with wires, as a lot of railroads would have you believe when you're talking about transit projects. Uh, it's perfectly fine as long as the wires are high enough. Um, but this is, this is a big, big excuse not to electrify it conventionally, is that, you know, clearances are going to be an issue. Um, in addition to just the upfront capital cost is a lot, right? Um, even though you get much reduced um, operating costs afterwards, and you know, eventually, eventually, you're going to amortize this event investment. Like it's not proving my railroad yeah. impossible. Yes, a, a, an industry that you know for a hundred years has been like, no, I would rather have one cookie now than two in ten minutes. Yeah, exactly. It's a, a, a long history of self sabotage on American railroads which is the subject of this slide. Um, 
I'm en- I'm enjoying the I'm enjoying the locomotive graveyard here. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. This is uh Larry's truck and electric. It's like a um, used car lot, which I guess it kind of is. That's, that's yeah. basically what it is, yeah. God god damn cash for clunkers ruined this country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bring a flat car. Yeah. Um so the state of the American railroad industry today is it's pretty borked, right? Mm. Uh, a lot of this is ha- has to do with a management concept called precision scheduled railroading. Longtime right? enemy of the pod. Longtime enemy of the pod. Yes, and this that a lot of this is not especially new. Um, and a lot of the problems with PSR are not necessarily how it is um, how the management philosophy so much as how it's been implemented. Right. Uh, yes, poorly. Very badly. Um, they implement a lot of the bad stuff and avoid the good stuff. Right. To to paraphrase Voltaire, it's neither precision nor scheduled nor railroading. Um, <laughs> but you sort of start with good ideas, right? We're going to precisely schedule trains. That means we have better personnel and equipment utilization because everything is scheduled and predictable, right? And then simply fails to deliver on that. Um, so trains get much longer. They get uh, more irregular. Right. We where, have... where did where did this idea of PSR come from? Because like, did they steal this from the airline industry, or uh, was it just like, name? oh, we should put it on a computer? I, where, where does this come from? Where does this originate? So this is from I want to say. Hold I'm on. Sorry, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Yeah. So sort of the Lenin of PSR is Ewing Hunter <laughs> Harrison, right? Um, uh, you know, Hunter Harrison, you <laughs> son of a bitch. Uh, and he he was CEO of the Illinois Central, um, and he was one of the first people to push this idea. We're going to precisely schedule trains. We're going to do all this other stuff that gets us the most out of our infrastructure, gets the most out of our people, gets the most out of our equipment. You know, remove all this sort of mishmash, right? And mm. it works really well on the Illinois Central, but um, he eventually he, he gets he he gets higher positions and on more complicated railroads, uh, it sort of devolves into cost cutting, um, mm. you know? Yeah. And so th- this was sort of like, uh, uh, you have, you have a, uh, you have a great idea and then it starts to fall apart under, you know, conditions of, in this case, you know, investors complaining, oh, uh, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, basically. Um, so, <laughs> You look at this inefficient system and you're like, we can make some some efficiency savings here. And the yeah. minute you try and do any of that, the whole thing collapses because it turns out that it's actually been built on a bedrock of inefficiency. Mm-hmm. This is this is true. And I mean, there's there was you can look at like the physical infrastructure of any railroad and say there are a lot of improvements to be made here. It's a Jenga um, block of, of horror shows, Alice. The, the, the yeah. big issue is that PSR, as it's been implemented, does not include infrastructure improvements. Um, but it does, it does rely a lot on technology, which was sort of developed in this, in the same period we're yeah, talking about. Technology like the, was invented in this, yeah, te- in this period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Technology yeah. was invented sort of around like 1980, by Adam, right? By Adam technology. Yeah, Adam technology. Sense. Yes. Um, generally so, PSR good, uh, just how they run it with zero infrastructure. Adam, bad. Cause, Adam, cause the thing is that true, eliminate P- him. Yeah. true, eliminate him. true yeah. PSR has never been tried. That's. 
actually basically not accurate. entirely <laughs> true because a lot of the older railroads did have something similar to PSR, but they actually had good uh, infrastructure. So, yes. Yeah. Um, so you have you have new technology like distributed power units. That's a DPU. You put a locomotive in the middle of the train and it's controlled by radio from the front of the train. That means even your older main lines with lots of curves could now handle very, very long freight trains without having like a, a string line mm. derailment or something like that. That's when just the length yeah, of the train. Yeah, talk to Norfolk Southern about that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's when just like the length of the train and the in-train forces cause some cars in the middle to flip over on a curve. Put, um, put center beam cars uh, in the front. Yeah. So, so, sort, of a, sort of a Kerbal yeah, Space exactly. Program sort of problem of like, this thing is too big to be structurally processed anymore. <laughs> Yeah. Goes outside the, <laughs> goes outside the physics range. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have infrastructure investment deferred. You have the reverse of infrastructure investment. For instance, uh, you have capacity added through longer trains rather than through more track and more trains. Um, and this causes a sort of paradoxical effect where there's more congestion with fewer trains on the tracks while still reducing Incredible. crew hours. It's like a magic trick. Um, it's amazing. It honestly it is, is amazing. It is the ultimate yes. bean counter like circle jerk. It's amazing. Yeah. So I, I have sort of a, a simplified example here. Um, let's say I got to move 150 cars each way over a section of railroad, which takes about one shift to cover, like one crew shift, right? It's getting uncomfortably close to the nightmare about me having the a train is heading towards whatever at 40 miles an hour exam question and I haven't revised. Uh, this is this is this is similar, right? Okay. So let's say some of this line, some of this line is double track, then it goes down to single track, and I have a number number of passing sidings, right? Uh along this route. And and then I get to my terminal, right? Mm -hmm. But why does the um, siding have to pass? Really, isn't that a regressive expectation? There's no clip upon? through the other train. Uh, oh, we'll get to that. Okay. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> How? <laughs> yeah. So, so the uh, these are these passing sidings have a length of seventy five cars, right? Mm. Um. So the old way to do this is you run four trains of seventy five cars, two each way, right? Sure. Um, and then, you know, they pay four crews one day of pay each, right? And that's that's pretty good. Everything gets there on time. Everyone's happy. Um, now we have precision scheduled railroading. Uh, we now have the capability of running longer trains, but our passing sidings are the same length, right? Oh, God, I see immediately where this is going. You, yes. You, yep. you run two trains, double the length, yes. but they can't pass each other. Exactly. You run two trains, they're double the length, right? You call up two crews. One one crew takes one train all the way to the end of the division, right? The other crew takes the other train to the end of the double track and then sits and waits, right? Uh, they do this a lot. And they sit there and twiddle their thumbs for like six hours, right? Jesus. The other train makes it the full length of the trip. The crew on the stop train times out and the railroad calls up a new crew at three o'clock in the morning to take the first train to the end of the line. Wait, wait, right? wait, but, but, but I see the magic trick here. This is way worse, but you're paying for three days of train um, crews instead of four. Yes. Oh my uh, god! You've cut costs yep. by 25% simply by having one Alice. crew do nothing. 
Oh my god, I, I feel like I've just seen the prestige. What the? <laughs> and at the same time, uh, your uh, freight arrives one day later. Yeah, and you're, exactly. you're, you're using like half of your like infrastructure. I, what, what do you call you an act like that? Efficiency. Yeah. We, yeah, we call it the aristocrats, Alice. <laughs> yeah, apparently. All you have to do is in, to increase congestion on the network and pay a railroad crew to do nothing. And the railroad has saved one full day of pay. I am a, uh, now, it's a if you're not man doing business, exactly, doing business here. This is <laughs> deals. This is some deals right here. Now, let's say, let's say we add an M-Track train to this mix. By the way, uh, if you're if you're more of a passenger guy than a freight guy here, now prior to the longer trains, any of these passing sidings could be used to stop and let the M-Track train pass, hey, or weave it straight through the, the middle of them. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Now that there's trains longer than the passing siding, the M-Track train is still shorter than the passing siding, which means it always has to stop. <laughs> there's, there's no possibility to delay the freight train, even if it's like empty coal cars or something. But, but Roz, <laughs> this is when I reply to you on Twitter and yeah. say, but, but there's a government mandate that says the freight trains have to get out of the way of Amtrak. Well, they don't fucking listen, I, Alan. <laughs> how actually, are they going to, even if they wanted to? Yeah, they to. can't. They literally cannot. Even if, they, even if you wanted to dispatch to prioritize the Amtrak train, you now cannot do it, right? <laughs> um, uh, but the law says... <laughs> <laughs> the, law, the law says one thing, but it doesn't regulate the size of trains. Oh, um, yeah. It's it, so, it's a classic. It's a loophole. It honestly. I, I yeah. know. It's just it's just you have to explain <laughs> all of this to someone, and it's like the the levels of things you have to explain to answer one simple question. And it's like, yes. uh, why is my so, train late? Okay, so imagine I have to ship a hundred and fifty box cars full of sex asses. You might want yeah. to sit down. I'm gonna get you a piece of paper and a pencil. <laughs> and and this is something that if if P, if PSR was like properly implemented, you would be running trains to make the most of your infrastructure without causing all these delays. They would run on a actual precision schedule, right? And you would be making spot infrastructure improvements. Like I don't know, maybe I join up two of these passing sidings. Boom! Now I have room for the big long train. Um, and, just, and everyone, I, I, I run yeah. some of the seventy-five car trains like slightly closer together, even. Yeah, or or you know, you you, and if you if you could run two hundred fifty car trains and have this long passing siding, that's actually two days of pay for the crew as opposed to three, right? But that does require you to put track down, which you don't want to do, right? <laughs> um, you're also uh, you're <laughs> yeah. also missing one of the like annoying, most annoying parts for the crew is that since you're in this long land barge that's stuck out in the middle of nowhere and you clock out, you then have to get a shitty van back from yes. your train to either a local hotel or all the way back to your like base of operations. So then you're yeah, and like, a, a good part of your shift is just riding like an hour or two in like a van. And another good part of it is sitting there in a train where legally you have to pay attention and you can't have like be on your phone or whatever. Well, yes. like as a matter of design, nothing happens. Oh well, once yes. you're once they call it uh, tied down, which is basically your train is stationary and you have all the brakes on, you're technically allowed to like look at stuff that isn't in front of you. Um, I have a I've seen a friend of mine that literally has like. 
he brings like model trains with him and he'll like airbrush like decals on them just waiting for a shift to be over incredible <laughs> yeah. um this is my toy cart. This is my real cart. This is my toy exactly. cart. This is my real cart. Uh, you have you have some long term effects from infrastructure pruning. Uh, some of this was done in like the sixties and seventies when railroads were in like a pretty shitty place, right? But you also have stuff that's designed to let's say let excess height cars through. Like I believe down here, this is I want to say this is the Howard Street Tunnel. It may not be though. Um, this used to be a two track tunnel, right? But because they want higher cars in and it has an oval cross section at the top, they simply got rid of one of the tracks and put the other track in the center. God. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and this, this is a fun one because there's uh, there's one of these in Philly. It goes underneath the uh, art, art museum. museum. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you, you know, they CSX will park trains there, like just blocking the railroad crossing to get to the Schuylkill River Trail for like hours and hours and hours and hours well, then ross can't ride his bike yeah but also it's idling you have this like four idling diesels in this and it's and it's in like a very much a residential neighborhood there's a bunch of high-rises right there and and you know it's it's um it's pretty crazy right um you also have uh weird forms of pruning one thing that's very expensive to maintain comparatively are switches hmm. right so this is Thurmond, West Virginia, up here, right? This used to be a very important line for coal. Now, not so much. Um, but uh, you have a double-track main line throughout. But here at Thurmond, because one of the tracks goes off one way, the other track goes off the other way, they rejoin eventually, and that's the Yogi Berra fork in the road. Uh, you know, <laughs> when, you, when you get there, take it. Um, <laughs> but sometimes you want to route trains one way or the other way, so there used to be a crossover here. Now, in order to do a crossover, of course, you need four switches, right? Or what they did here is they got rid of two of those switches by just having the line go down to one track and then back up the two tracks. Oh my God. Now, <laughs> this is now <laughs> at the cost of just a little bottleneck, you save two switches. This, this, is, this is like, it, it's one step away from fucking Fitz Corraldoing a train full of empty coal cars. <laughs> Don't worry, in a minute we're going to get to the Flintstones car where the railroaders have to do it with yeah, their Don't worry, when, uh, <laughs> when you have two trains on the same team, they can clip through each other. Uh, <laughs> and there's this, this big disconnect here between like uh, infrastructure pruning and sort of these long, slow trains and there's a surge in railroad traffic at the same time, right? With like the fracking boom, uh, oh, yeah. you know, the, 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 when we the discovery to make of, it worse. Yeah. yeah, you have like uh, lots and lots of crude oil by rail, all this stuff. Uh, all that stuff is fine to ship at like slow speeds, you know, because it doesn't go bad. It's been in the ground for a couple million years. Yeah, what um, if we can get oil, but also cause earthquakes? Yes. Uh, and then you, the, you know, this... So this infrastructure is immediately very strained, um, but also in terms of like manufacturing, while we're doing all this infrastructure pruning and making the trains longer, everyone's moving to just-in-time shipping, right? Which means that... Has nothing to do with rods. If there's... If there is... Uh, uh, if the railroads are becoming more unreliable, it's very difficult to ship high-value goods by rail anymore. All that stuff moves the trucks, right? So the railroads are really painting themselves into a corner here where the only thing that's good to ship by rail are like 
bulk commodities or like stuff like paper, yeah, you know, like, stuff like that, where it doesn't rapidly, matter how long it's in transit. Rapidly approaching uh, British rail sectorization here. It, it's something yeah, wild probably. that if you like, so um, there, there's some like figure out there that's like 40% of all freight in the United States moves by like rail or something like that. But yeah. that is ton miles. And if yeah, you remove the, if you remove the heavy stuff, the heavy, stupid stuff like gravel and coal, it goes down to some like either single digit or like in the teens of actual stuff we move on rail. Oh, yeah. By, um, by weight, it's a lot by value. Not so much. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, so, and then, of course, a lot of that stuff is also fossil fuel related, which theoretically in our green electric future would be traffic that would dry up. Um, yeah, we don't want know, with that the, oil. We don't want that coal. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah you might that, be still shipping some metallurgical coal and that'd be it. Um, yeah, one of the funny things we always joke about, like East Coast railroads, is there were so many East Coast railroads back in the early 1900s that were literally just built as coal conveyor belts to cities. Yeah. And that's all they were. Um, so when people are always like nostalgic for like said railroad, say like the Lackawanna or something, and it's like, well, the whole point of that was just to move coal from coal mines to city. And like, yeah, there should be passenger stuff on it maybe, but like the, the whole point of the railroad is kind of gone now. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, the other effect of this is, of course, it, it's taken a big toll on employees. Mm. Number one, they've been cutting huge amounts of staff, cutting lots of engineers, lots of uh, conductors, cutting... Uh, all kinds of positions everywhere because they're just not needed anymore because if we can run a big, stupid, slow train, uh, we don't need as many people, right? Yeah. Uh, we also start putting people onto the extra board, right? Which if you're a senior engineer, you get the few scheduled trains out there. And if you're like uh, a junior person, you get the shit work, right? Uh, and that, right. On the, if you're on the extra board, you can basically be called up at any time to take a train from your terminal to anywhere else with very short notice. Yeah. Uh, and so they could call you up at three in the morning. They could call you up like, I don't know, maybe you're with your buddies at the bar because you thought, you know, it looked like you're going to have the day off. Nope. Too bad. Yeah. You got to sober up and get out here now. Um, <laughs> Basically how like most <laughs> railroad jobs work is that you're on like five days a week. And during those five days, you can just get a call on your phone at any time of the day four hours before your shift that tells you you're going to have to come in. And, and there is, uh, it's very much, it's, it's very similar to how the service industry is starting to work now mm. where mm. schedules are like arbitrary in order to like optimize for when there's the most customers or whatever. And no one knows what their actual shift is going to be until right before it happens. Yeah, precision, right? precision um, scheduled waiting. Yes, exactly. Much, um, yeah. You know, and, and again, you got in-cab surveillance now. So, you know, it's not like you're going to go on your phone, you know, or maybe, you know, maybe you play with your model trains. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, the, the um, you also have stuff like auto throttle now. You have fuel oh, economy God. systems, um, which really slow the trains down. Yeah. Uh, so auto throttle basically is the railroad's attempt to techify fuel usage um so normally when you're driving a train uh and you're an engineer that does engineer things uh, and knows like the layout of the track that you're running on you know when to throttle up you know when to throttle down you know when to dynamic brake you know when to uh do certain things just to efficiently run the train at a certain speed and because you know what's coming up next 
Um, but instead, a lot of what the railroads do nowadays is there's this like auto throttle that like they force the engineers to use. It's basically a computer that tries to do the same thing. But the problem is, is that the computer is optimizing for fuel usage. Um, so what it does... So like an early CVT. Yeah, and, and what it does is that it essentially will run the train at like half speed because basically the slower you run something, usually the more efficient it is. So these trains that would normally go like 40, 50 miles an hour are going like 25 miles an hour. Uh, and you talk to any of these engineers that run these trains, they fucking hate the computer. <laughs> it also doesn't really work. Is the other no, thing. it's only um, like uh, some one of the engineers I talked to that has to deal with these. He, he told me that they only save like two or three percent fuel burn. Like it's not like substantial. <laughs> there, there's there's an old joke, old railroader joke. Um, one day a conductor came into uh, came into the office one day uh, right before his shift was to start. He found out the railroad had uh, saved a whole bunch of money by eliminating the engineer. And replacing him with a monkey, right? Hmm. So, so, and he's like, "How come? How come the engineer's replaced by a monkey, but I'm not?" Uh, I, he's really getting worried for his job security. So anyway, he boards the train with his monkey, right? Um, and there's a little display in the locomotive now, and the display tells the monkey, "Okay, this is your throttle position. This is where you need to be. This is when you need to brake." The monkey's well-trained. He knows exactly what's going on. And the conductor's getting more and more worried. He's like, what am I here for? What is my job now? I, I, I'm, I'm like, he's, he's like, really, like, what's going to happen? And then suddenly, he didn't notice there was a display on his side, too. It lit up, and it said, feed the monkey. <laughs> 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 um, anyway, that's auto throttle. Um, <laughs> yup. <laughs> So, you know, a lot of these these working condition issues are why there's going to be that huge railroad strike in 14 days now. This is a, um, you know, this is, you know, it's not just about pay. It's about just the working conditions have become impossible, right? Yeah. It's, it's just, it's not no longer like a sustainable job for a human being to do. Mm. Um, right. Thanks for nothing, Warren Buffett. Ironically, well, ironically, Burlington Northern Santa Fe, which is the one uh, Warren Buffett owns. They have not formally adopted precision scheduled railroading, but they have some of the worst they just working conditions. Anyway. No, yeah. It's funny because BNSF <laughs> is the one that's slightly better than the other three. So yeah, it's right. And by well, slightly that, better, it, it, it's like wow, we actually attempt to do certain things, and that's not setting a high standard. They were also they were also trying to push push that insane attendance policy. Oh yeah, is really what got yes, this yes. strike going. Um, so anyway, uh, this, a lot of this stuff starts to come in in the nineties where we're using less locomotives, we're using less trains to haul the same amount of stuff in a lot worse way than we used to. Um, and this happens, uh, right after the railroads went on a motive power buying spree, right? Mm. Um, is that how you have get this... the big used car lot full of trains? Yes. Um, uh-huh. you know, they, there, there was this boom bust cycle. There was a lot of equipment ordered to handle back and crude, fracked gas, powder river basin, coal, stuff like that. Very shortly after all this equipment is procured, PSR goes mainstream. You have this huge motive power surplus. No one's ordering any new locomotives because there are so many of them just lying around. Mm. Right. Cause you don't need them. Cause um, you're running these giant, long, stupid trains. 
Exactly. Right. And you're, you're, you're mm-hmm. running them with maximum fuel economy. So you're running, you're running like a, a train with three locomotives and 150 cars and you can do it because there's a locomotive in the middle and one at the end, as well as one at the front. Um, and, and, and new locomotives start getting more complicated and more expensive, right? The EPA starts to crack down on non-road diesel emissions after two, 2004. They phase in several tiers of emission standards over time, ending basically, with tier four. Uh, basically, the government told diesel manufacturers that they were like, hey, you actually have to try to innovate now. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, we're, I, we're I, turning the big economic imperative back on. The pretty stark difference between we see this old Metro diesel locomotive here, a uh, big cloud of black smoke coming out versus this nice, new, clean, modern M-Track locomotive from Siemens, mm. uh, which is, you know, you can see a bit of heat haze above it. Yeah, and that's the, about it. The, the Metro <laughs> locomotive is a tier zero or tier zero plus locomotive. And then the uh, Siemens Charger is a tier four. So mm. you, you can see the NOx um, emissions in the one chart. Uh, that show the amount compared yeah. to each other. <laughs> yes. Isn't nitrous oxide um, one of the, like, really, really, you could have essentially none of this in the atmosphere, kind of? Um, uh... It's a big, it's a big smog uh, yeah. producer. Uh, that and uh, your, your, your sulfur dioxides and your nitrous oxides, those are, those are criteria pollutants. Uh, particulate matter is another one. Um, it's it's that and it's nitrous oxide basically causes like the acid rain type stuff and it's also one of the that in particular matter are just like if you live next to this area you are guaranteed to have like asthma basically yeah um, um yeah so the new diesels they're more efficient they're much more efficient like the technology got a lot better pretty quickly uh but they're also more expensive right and again mm, there's all cost. these all these locomotives lying around i don't need to buy a whole bunch of new ones right um, the result of this is that the, the locomotive industry sort of rapidly collapses. Um, Electromotive division is bought by Caterpillar 2004. GE Transportation holds out for a while. They're sold off to Wabtec in 2019, right? Uh, the financial crisis of 2008, of course, exacerbated these, these problems. These companies are sort of mined for assets, right? And, yeah. and there's no... They, they become zombie companies, right? Yeah, um, like sure. especially EMD, like from a mechanical perspective, EMD was always fucked because like um, this, is, this is a car thing, Liam, so you get this. But uh, GE always had prime movers that were four-stroke engines and four-strokes are notoriously a lot easier to have better emissions on where EMD had two-stroke prime movers. Um, so... Essentially, when these like uh, EPA regulations went into effect, AMD was kind of fucked from the start because they yeah. they mainly developed two-stroke engines. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, yeah, and if you move to four-stroke, that's essentially having your 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 uh, your power density like right off the bat. Um, yeah. And you can tell the difference between like a locomotive that uses a four stroke and a two stroke because the the four stroke will sound like the typical like, burr, 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 and then the the two stroke will sound like a giant chainsaw. This is like yeah, like, that's the main difference. Um, um, and they start moving they start moving production to non union plants, awesome. um, and the build quality kind of tanks, especially for EMD. Uh, no one wants to buy any locomotives. Uh, you can barely purchase any new mainline freight locomotives in America today. And yeah, no one really wants to. And the, and the uh, crazy but, part is, is like these charts show is that the EPA has mandated a tier four since like 
2013, 2014. But if you look at that chart um, with the adoption rate, you can see that the green on the top of the list is tier four. And you can see that it's barely part of the fleets of these railroads nowadays. Yes. Uh, it's and, and you can see that the tier zero still exists. Like they're, they're not, they haven't yeah. disappeared. <laughs> Hi, it's Justin. Uh, so this is a commercial for the podcast that you're already listening to. Uh, people are annoyed by these, so let me get to the point. We have this thing called Patreon, right? The deal is you give us two bucks a month, and we give you an extra episode once a month. Uh, sometimes it's a little inconsistent, but, you know, it's two bucks. You get what you pay for. Um, it also gets you our full back catalog of bonus episodes, so you can learn about exciting topics like guns, pickup trucks, or pickup trucks with guns on them. The money we raise through Patreon goes to making sure that the only ad you hear on this podcast is this one. Anyway, that's something to consider if you have two bucks to spare each month. Uh, join at patreon.com forward slash WTYP pod. Do it if you want. Or don't. It's your decision, and we respect that. Back to the show. Yeah, there was. It, it, it was. Uh, it, this was. This was sort of um, inadvertent problem from environmental regulations. I mean, I think we do talk about that a lot in this. This program is, uh, you know, stuff like uh, how we, how Wyoming was able to supply all the nation's coal because it was technically slightly better under EPA regulations. This is sort of another thing. Mm-hmm. Not to say that environmental regulations are bad, it's just that... You have to cut out every not... loophole or they will be ruthlessly exploited. Exactly. Or well, you mean, have to punish is, it... them, basically, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, none of it seems to really be outcomes-based, you know? It seems to be a little more procedural. <laughs> hey, you guys should do this. Okay. When, mm-hmm. when Pete Buttigieg emails you yeah. to be like, uh, hey, I need you, Hey, you up? Uh, reply back. Hey, you should do something yeah. about this shit. Yeah. Well, wow, the right. Secretary of Transportation should give a shit about trains. No fucking way. <laughs> anyway, now that we're now that we're an hour and thirty two minutes into the program, um, let's talk about batteries. Um, batteries. How do they so, work? So it's, it's what I would it's call a safe and legal thrills to throw yeah, your car yes. batteries into the ocean. Recharge the yeah. eels. Come on. <laughs> so I would say uh, what I would call like the autonomous battery future, right? Uh, the autonomous battery future and its consequences has been a disaster for the human race. Oh, hundred percent. Right? I, I, yeah, I, I highly I, I, endorse um, uh, Paris Marx's new book about like in large part why the electric car is, you know, not the silver bullet that it's often imagined to be. I wish you having them on the show sometime. Why actually. do I have to buy a new watch every four years? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why do I buy headphones that have batteries yeah. Yeah. that are not? Give me the option to swap out the battery like I had on my Samsung S2. And then you throw that God used battery yeah. into the ocean. Right into the ocean. Just give me a, a trolley headphones. Yeah, I mean, this is sort of, well, that's just <laughs> headphones with a cord, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I got a pantograph sort of, on these. Oh, I'll use that with my uh, my 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 phone that doesn't have a headphone jack, Roz. Yeah. Because Tim Cook was brave, Roz. Oh my God! I mean, inspiring. So this is sort of too broad of a topic to fully cover here, but there's like this sort of 
as the autonomous battery future comes upon us, um, I don't think the autonomous part will happen, but the battery part might. Um, you know, you sort of look at there's this ideological opposition to any infrastructure investment. You really focus on vehicles instead of what they run on, mm -hmm. right? Everyone wants these autonomous cars, but they don't want any infrastructure to support them, um, which is Capital pretty crazy. Costs? No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. I, I, it's a pretty crazy thing when, okay, back in 1997, there was, uh, I want to say the Automated Highway Institute developed a system using Buicks uh, of automated cars in dedicated lanes on California freeways. They, they did a demonstration pilot. And the one thing you had to do was you had to punch a nail into the highway every foot so the cars knew where they were, right? Mm. Um, and then they were able to demonstrate all this stuff that's been promised by uh, autonomous car companies for ages, you know, like platooning cars, having cars uh, join and leave platoons seamlessly, all this stuff. All you needed was nails. And I think the nails had like an RFID thing on them. Anyway, that went nowhere. We're not even willing to invest that much in infrastructure for an autonomous vehicle. No, they have um, to be they have to be able to work, to work on regular roads which have not been exactly. changed at all and also have not been maintained so they're falling apart. This is true. This is true. But if you have a uh, universal thing that all vehicles can use, how can I make money off of not using my pri <laughs> uh priority uh, I cannot think of the word. Uh <laughs> by selling my uh, janky system that cannot work with anything else, but only works yeah. with my vehicles. A, a system that actually doesn't work at all. I mean, in the case of uh, Ask Tesla. Ask me about USB micro yeah. B mm. now. So tell me about USB micro B. Uh, Proprietary. Again, oh, God. If you have, yeah, if you have a connector that only works for printers, you shouldn't have that connector. <laughs> yes. Bring back the serial USB port. I want the big fine. serial port again. Uh, RS232, baby, <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> but, you know, in, in the autonomous battery future, you know, you have all these, you, you, you're going to have autonomous battery cars. You have all these individualistic solutions to problems. You know, like, I don't know, you're going to, you're going to replace public transportation with pods. Um, we're going to, we're going to, everyone's going to have true. a pod. Um, you know, that you have a complete bug, abdication. Say it louder, yeah. bestie. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna this complete abdication of any kind of planning role for governments, right? Um, and and you really you really leave everything to, as Riley likes to say on Trash Future, a wizard will do it. Yes, right. Yeah. Um, and this is just the whole philosophy <laughs> of like development today. It's the philosophy of everything. Government? And, you mean yeah. private public partnership? No, I fucking don't. <laughs> uh, and there's this fundamental expectation that we'll be able to keep on keeping on exactly as we are. There's no great social upheaval or changes mm -hmm. to the structure of society to avert climate change or deal with dwindling resources or stuff like this. Someone's going to sweep in with cheap batteries, autonomous cars. We'll all be rich and part of the leisure class, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and, and the Paris Marx thing is that like your your life isn't going to change that much, right? You, mm -hmm. You're never going to have to confront anything. You can still drive your car. It's just going to be a slightly different type of car now. Yes. Changing my so, lifestyle to help the environment? No. Yeah. So this oh. this applies to people, but it also applies to railroads, hmm. right? Well, railroads so are kind of people. They are kind of people, yeah. I mean, the Southern Hello, Pacific... I mean, yeah, the, the Southern Pacific uh, proved that back in uh, yeah. the 1870s. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> so, 
let's talk about the battery electric locomotive. Um, oh, it's so, cute. Yeah, this is this is maybe the good. It, ha- it the might good have part. A, a face that's cute as a button, but yeah. down here is a monster. <laughs> Not here, but down there is a monster. Hmm. There's there's one thing battery electric trains are good at, and that's serving lightly used branch lines where overhead line electrification is not necessarily worth it. Oh, right? to, have re- uh, to have never done the beaching axe and to have done a bunch of yes. British sort of like uh, little little rail cars of these. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. and one of the best examples is the uh, Deutsche Stundespond uh, Class 150, which were built originally in the uh, mid-1950s. Um, and basically what these were is it was like a rail car. So it was like kind of standard um, thing you'd find everywhere, except instead of having like a, a diesel motor, they had just a ton of lead acid batteries just in the middle of the frame. Fuck that rules. Um, and in they had about the equivalent of 520 to 603 kilowatt hours, which to give like a modern equivalent, that's about the equivalent of like uh, seven Teslas um in in these things of lead acid batteries <laughs> <laughs> no i'm sorry this just flatly rules i don't <laughs> yeah and um they they actually ran these from the 50s until like 1995 um but uh and they had a bunch of nicknames uh they were called a cublets uh or battery lightning and i'm not going to try to pronounce the other ones so, but uh, uh, let me let me have, like take a run at these soira bomber acid bombers Steck Dawson, like oh, Dawson Intercity, uh, Passion Lampen Express, a Pocket Torch Express, or this one, uh, Hengebauchschweiner, Pot Bellied Pigs. And I, you know, I, I like it. felt Aww. a bit Hengebauch myself. Bauch, uh, excuse me. And the reason why they were called Pot Bellied Pigs is uh, later in their life, because the batteries were centered in the center of the chassis, they started to sag because the um, the, 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 in, the actual Mood. tons of lead acid batteries that are in them. <laughs> um, but these are it's really ironic cool. because that's a swayback and not a hogback. This is true. Yeah. <laughs> and and these are actually really cool because like um yeah on on like branch lines that otherwise would have like a DMU they they took over the role in that. The only downside is because of the lead acid batteries and because of batteries um, having just uh, limited uh, capacity, you could only really run these things on very flat routes because otherwise, if you're going up some hills, you would drastically cut the uh, the amount of distance or range you could run these. But hmm. otherwise, they were really good. Yeah, I mean, one of the things which is really nice about trains is they're really good at coasting. Um you know, you, you can get up to a good speed and then shut off the throttle and go many, many miles without touching it. Um, but that changes when there's a gradient. Yes. Um, and the other thing is on a train, range is very important, right? Sure. Um, you know, especially not so much on branch lines, but for mainline trains, I'll give you an example. Amtrak runs the California Zephyr roughly 2,000 miles from Chicago to San Francisco in 51 hours, right? Which is not a great schedule. Um, but on this trip, it refuels once in Omaha, Nebraska. And they don't even strictly have to. It's just a top-off, right? Mm-hmm. So you need you, you, you want to have a lot of range, especially for passenger trains, but also freight trains uh, that are anything other than short branch line services. Sure. Um, 
So uh, let's look at maybe a more modern example, which I kind of like. Um, this is the also Viva- very cute. <sighs> yes, this is a Viva Rail Class Two Thirty, right? They took old London Underground D stock from the late seventies <sighs> and they refurbished them. And they stuck some batteries on there. Thought these I saw a already... family resemblance there, yeah. Yes. They, they already use these on a few branch lines in the UK, but those are diesel versions. Ugh. Right? Yeah. Uh, Viva Rail has so far built two battery uh, versions of it, uh, of both two car units, to demonstrate the technology. I think both of them caught fire at one point. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Oh. What are you going to do? Well, they've repaired them. <laughs> um, these are, I'm not sure if those were the battery ones or the diesel ones, but they've had at least two fires on these. Um, they're currently owned by railroad development corporation to demonstrate their pop-up Metro concept, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like, okay, if you're a town or a small city, you have some unused railroad track. Hey, we'll, we'll come in and build some temporary platforms. Uh, and we can see how rail mass transit would work here, which I think that's a fun, a fun idea. idea. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, um, not bad, sure. yeah. Yeah, so they're they're housed at the Rock Hill Furnace Trolley Museum right now, and they sort of shuttle back and forth on that track to show off the potential customers, right? Which is very funny because they have to run on Pennsylvania trolley gauge. Hmm. No, Rock Hill Furnace is standard gauge. Oh, it is? Oh, okay. Maybe yeah. I'm thinking of the other one that's like close by or something. Yeah, no, the, uh, the, that, that is the standard gauge trolley museum. Um, I think it's standard gauge. The one in the one in Washington, Pennsylvania, is Pennsylvania Trolley Gauge. Oh, okay, that's probably um, what I'm thinking of. And I think Electric City Trolley Museum is also Standard Gauge. Or I know it is because it has an interchange tracks, with yeah, yeah. So, and these are these are good for like low intensity routes where you can do it in one charge. They advertise a 10 minute recharge time, right? And that's pretty quick. But for passenger service, that's a completely unacceptable dwell time. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just sit at a station for ten minutes and expect people to use the train like that. Um, you know, you could potentially add a bunch of charging infrastructure at every stop and partially recharge, but that's a lot of effort, right? Yeah, and by that um, point, you're you're back up to something like electrification anyway, in terms of like yeah, costs. yeah. That's that's going to be a big theme coming up. Um, now. It's not just uh, folks in the UK who have, uh, or, or, or folks over in Europe who've thought about this. Uh, we've got um, the Long Island Railroad tried to refit some of their multiple unit trains with batteries, right? Back in early 2021, they started this project. They were going to, uh, the, they run on third rail electrification, mm. um, which they probably shouldn't at this point. It probably, no. I think, I, I think at this point they should just consider wiring up the whole system with overhead lines because that's of how capital cost that's capital cost oh. yeah <laughs> um you could get rid of one of those uh extra extra power systems that are in penn station that'd probably be a net good it'd be a lot less complicated to maintain anyway uh especially with all the grade crossings you know all the kids who could get fried by the third rail um so anyway they were like okay we need to electrify our whole system. What if we try it with batteries? Can we just sling batteries onto our existing rail cars? Because right now the, um, the trains that go on to say, for instance, the Oyster Bay branch, they have to switch to diesel at some point. Right. Mm. Um, so they spent about $850,000 on the project and concluded that actually 
no, this won't work. The car, the cars can't take the weight, I think was the reason. Um, and, and so that's not happening, but, but I think you they have are, a big sort of press event here where they yeah. go look at our futuristic new train. Yes. Yes. Our futuristic new train we bought, you know, half a dozen years ago. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But it has batteries in it, like your like your headphones do. It's it's like basically I, it's wireless, literally. I believe this was just a stock. Um, what is this? An M nine that they just dragged out there uh, with a diesel for the M seven. I press. think M seven. They yeah. brought out the, the the M stands for military. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they just dragged it out there with a diesel for the press event. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. So um. Yeah, refitting these things doesn't always work. I mean, these these batteries are heavy. You do need new rolling stock if you want to throw batteries in there, or at least something that's comp that that it's not like simple engineering, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's sort of uh, on the passenger idea of like what I would consider practical, which is okay. You switch the batteries maybe for the end of the line or for branch lines, but you know, uh, folks are trying to take it further to mainline diesel locomotives uh convert those to batteries sure why not so this is the wabtech flex drive what a name i'll let alan explain this because he wrote yeah this um as you see it has like uh 2400 kilowatt hours of capacity which again in like tesla numbers that's about like 32 teslas right <laughs> So th there's a lot of batteries in this thing. <laughs> there's a lot of batteries to the point where they had to interrupt the the walkway on the side of the locomotive. Yeah, um, it's, it's although thick. it looks like this this door might allow you access through. It's, I don't it, know. It, it's an interesting firefighting challenge if one of these decides to have a bad time. Uh, oh, no, no, don't think about that. You just, no, you no, just, no, don't worry about that. You just take a plane full of sand. <laughs> yeah, literally the, the sand tanker, the sand hook. Yes, like, imagine this thing derails in the Howard Street tunnel. <laughs> oh dear! Uh, you just weld the tunnel together. That's it. It's about that's to say it. you, you just melt downtown Baltimore. Yeah, <laughs> oh, the sum um, of all fears. Carlos, no. But what essentially this is? This is a Jivo, basically. It's uh, without the prime mover and just instead just a ton of batteries. Uh, and Our listeners who are not. Into trains, a Jivo is a type of diesel locomotive that's pretty modern. Uh, yeah, the Jivo is yeah. essentially just your bog standard, just diesel freight locomotive that you'd yeah. find in the United States. Um, and what this is, is you rip the diesel engine out of the thing, and instead you just fill it up with batteries. Like, it's very, it's very yeah. dumb energy, but obviously there's a lot of engineering that goes into the battery kind of section of this. Um, this thing's probably very heavy compared to a uh, a Jivo. I actually um, don't know. Uh, I would I would be very interested to look that up. Well, it says four hundred and thirty thousand pounds here, and then presumably I can go to Wikipedia here, Jivo. But uh, yeah, this this <laughs> thing. Um, it, so in in railroad terms, um, in yards in the past and still nowadays. Oftentimes, you'd connect this thing to a diesel locomotive called a slug. And as, what a slug is, is it doesn't have a prime mover, meaning it doesn't have a diesel engine, um, but it connects to the electrical system of the diesel engine that's moving cars around. 
And what this does is it gives you more motors per, it gives you more electric motors per the diesel engine. Mm. So basically the diesel engine can work super hard at low speeds, but not do a burnout, but instead has more like electric motors to move and more traction to move stuff with. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and normally that's only used for really slow speeds, like five to 10 miles an hour, just moving like cars around like a yard. And that's usually what slugs are good at. But this is essentially a slug with your electric motors and everything, but it has a ton of batteries. Um, so it can move around using the batteries and stuff like that. But that's that's not what it's mainly built for, um, because like generally you wouldn't just put one of these on a train. You'd also. Uh. Oh. Uh-oh. 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 No good. Yeah, that's not good. Fucking Zencaster, uh, man. Let's, uh... Oh. Hi, Alan. Hello. Hello. Sorry, yeah, my no computer blue screen. That'll do it. Uh, but yeah, I'm We're way on the, uh, flex uh, drive. Yeah, so basically it's a slug. It's 32 Teslas. Um, and yes. Yeah, 32 Teslas. And when um, when you put... So you take two diesel engines and you put one of these in between the two. And you essentially run the thing as a uh, hybrid consist. So basically, like Roz was saying earlier, when normally when you have a diesel engine and you go downhill or you need to brake, you use dynamic brakes and... The thing uh, will just put heat back in the atmosphere. Like you're not recapturing yeah. the energy. So the idea with this thing is that when you go down the hill and you use dynamic brakes, all of the energy goes back into oh, the batteries in this thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, actually, it's not a hybrid, but when you attach it to a diesel, it becomes a hybrid. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And and the the idea with this thing is that like no capital cost, you just buy the thing and put it into your consist. Um, and the, it's found that BNSF ran like some test trains with this over the course of like a year. And they found that, oh, like generally it saved between like 14 to 15% fuel burn on one train's run over like a That's certain much better distance. than auto throttle. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which, which is a substantial yeah. amount. Like it's, it's not like you're, you're throwing computer at the thing. You're actually throwing a physical asset at the, at the problem, but it, it's still not like a substantial thing like electrification would be. It's just kind of like, hey, yeah, this, I guess, yeah, it's works. better than nothing, but it's not like uh, it's not revolutionary, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this is uh, this has been much touted as like the coming of the battery freight locomotive, but it's it can't run on its own um, or it can for short distances. But this is absolutely not something that's going to pull a long train. You can't attach uh, several of yeah, the- like. Like, honestly, if you wanted to use this thing by itself, it would actually be really good at running, like, local freight trains, which uh, that's also a problem because the Class 1s hate yeah. local freight. So, multiple yeah, issues so this here. Is the, this is the closest thing to a battery uh, road locomotive ever built. Now, I'm going to cite a few things from a, a study uh, called Economic, Environmental, and Grid Resilience Benefits of Converting Diesel Trains to Battery Electric. I'll put a link to that in the... Um, the description, uh, but this uses a, a, a number of um, figures that I was kind of suspicious of, but you could move an average train 
And that's like four locomotives and some number of cars. I forget. Yeah, a, a perfectly it's, spherical train. Yeah, it's perfectly spherical train. And yeah, no an atmosphere. average of 241 kilometers with a boxcar holding 14 megawatt hours of electricity, right? And that would have more for longer runs. You'd couple more boxcars together. Of course, this has this has 2.4 megawatt hours. So that's that's not going to get you 241 kilometers. But that's uh, 241 kilometers is a pretty pretty short run for a freight train. I don't know how they got that average because I thought that was uh, there's some trains that'll go less than that, and there's a lot that will go a lot lot more than that. So yeah, but um, you only need a couple dozen of these things in order to achieve that short run. This is the thing. Yes, you need you you need a lot. You need a lot of batteries. Well, it's kind of like. It's kind of like the rocket equation where your rocket is carrying mm -hmm. the fuel that is also the fuel you need that you're putting up in yes. the air. <laughs> so it's like your, your, your locomotive is carrying the weight of the batteries, but the batteries are also propelling you. And it's just like, when does it become too yeah, ridiculous? And, and obviously these, uh, these batteries are, they're getting higher energy density. They're getting smaller all the time. The other thing these researchers suggested that, well, if you had a charger rated for 72 megawatts. You could charge eight of these cars at a time, right? That's nothing. Like that comes out of the wall, pretty much. I assume seventy-two so, megawatts is a lot of electricity. Uh, the whole, yeah, whole yeah. Amtrak Northeast big wall, Alice, yeah, big big wall. The, the whole Amtrak Northeast corridor between Washington D.C. and New York City averages sixty-three megawatts. Um, now that's an average. That that mm. that is um that is taking into account a lot of downtime. Uh, at night where there's very few trains running but but that that's a lot of electricity right mm. you are investing into a lot of electrical infrastructure to support these battery trains right um and you have to build that out to every place where you fuel trains which given these things have a limited range is going to be a lot more hey, maybe we places. can have I... more of those little towns like Thurman that only exist to like charge up these <laughs> things. <laughs> I imagine that it's going to be like staffed by like two guys at most, mm. you know. And I, I but a town of two guys, the yeah. Thing is, like 241 kilometers is like steam locomotive numbers. Um, that's, that's, <laughs> that's it's not very good. Um, and just for come back, we've we've returned with a V, you know. Return town of yeah. Dave and Bob. But, uh, yeah. For like a really basic comparison, a fuel tank on a SD70, which is a comparable diesel locomotive to this, right? Same basic shape and size. Um, the fuel tank holds 4,900 gallons of diesel, which back of the envelope calculation, that equivalent equivocates to 203 megawatt hours. God, right? oil was so wow. fucking efficient. It's really like, good. It's it's disgustingly <laughs> energy efficient, is the thing. Yes. They're really good energy density. Now, obviously, not all of that is available, right? Because uh combustion com yeah, combustion some, engines yeah. aren't that efficient, right? Um, so you're not it's not like you have a full 203 megawatt hours, but you have a lot. Uh you have a lot of fuel in there. And that's why, say, Mtrak can go three quarters of the way across the country on one tank of gas. Um, one tank of diesel, excuse me. Mm. Um, so yeah, this is, um, that this is pretty limited in the range department on its own. Obviously when you attach diesel engines to it, it it's much, but much better. Now there is a company trying to do a complete 
uh, electric, battery electric road locomotive, right? And that is, of course, Progress Rail, right? Progress Rail is sort of the tattered remnants of Electromotive Division. I see. It's um, it, it's owned by Caterpillar, yeah. so it's they're owned trying by Caterpillar to, like, now. Yeah, offset all of the like um, the, uh, something. Yeah, I guess. yeah, yeah. So they've come up with a, a large line of products. Only one locomotive has been built, to my knowledge. Um, which <laughs> and is then this is this is it here. Going? This is the one. It's the one in the picture here, right? Um, oh. And this was supposed to have completed in-service testing last year. But to my knowledge, it has not started testing. Um, it's very cool. Like, if you look at the bottom left one, I really enjoy putting the like new product, sort of like clean green livery, on uh, the same form factor as a diesel locomotive. Mm -hmm. I really like that. I mean this this is this is one of this is not a very good render. I will say that this is <laughs> well, the white locomotive. Wheels? No, white locomotive so. on a white background, not very good. Mm. Um, well, they 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 obviously don't have much of a graphic design uh, department. You could solve this by putting it on a black background. That's all you have to do. <laughs> Impossible. Um, so anyway, they they have several products on offer right now. They have this heavy eight axle road switcher down here. Um, that needs eight axles because it's that heavy. Right. Um, it also has a panograph in the back, which is interesting. Hmm. That's presumably for in motion charging, which I yeah, I don't know if it's even in motion charging. I, I think it's I've seen some renders of them. They just pull to a certain section of the yard that just has a rail above the track that's just right. for charging. That, that makes sense. Again, I, this is like it, it. It's doing so much electrification to avoid doing any electrification. Electrification, yes. right? Oh yeah. Um. So Union Pacific has ordered 20 of their switcher locomotives, which I don't have a render of those up here. Um, BHP, which is a big mining company in Australia, they ordered two of these big guys for evaluation on their line. Um, they're big, long Australian iron ore routes. You know, they go from they go from the iron ore mines in Pilbara. Nowhere to nowhere. Yeah, this uh, being yeah Australia. exactly. Could and be I, a conveyor belt kind of thing. Well, I was. It is. It is a. It is Australian a, railroad. It is derogatory. a conveyor belt system. What I'm slightly confused about is it does not seem to have the range to make it to the end of the line without mm. recharging, which is not the case with their big diesels they got now. Um, <laughs> you know. Mm. I, you know. And, and this is where you sort of you you got to look at these things as. Um, for the purpose of railroad operations, these are just diesel locomotives with less range and, you know, less emissions, mm. um, you know, but they, they don't offer any of the performance upgrades that overhead wire would get you, except maybe you could do short term overload on the traction motors, which that railroads don't even want that because, you know, they want to run everything as slowly and cheaply as possible. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Maintenance. So these these yeah, things oh, are. Shut up. <laughs> this is what's on offer from Progress Rail. Again, I don't think any have been built except one prototype, um, and they're they're trying to fire up their new factory in uh, what you call it, uh, Fort Worth, Texas, the new non-union one. Um, they got a second new non-union factory in Brazil. We're um, <laughs> outsourcing there. Great. So, very good in yeah, every yeah. place. Yeah. No one needs, and the, which doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Maybe Lula will fix that. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we can always hope. 
Uh, Brazil is a whole nother story of they had a big electric rail network in Toro. Yeah, um, yeah. Brazil, definitely a very fragmented rail network for how wealthy the country is. I will say that. Um, they, well, they used to have a whole, um, just like Mexico, they used to have a whole nationalized rail network and it was all electrified. And then they didn't keep uh, up. They didn't do the upkeep, and then the government eventually uh, neoliberalized and privatized, blah, 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 the story, yeah. Uh, I hate yeah. when this happens. Uh, but this, these guys, uh, blah, 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 battery capacity on the big guy here, 14 and a half megawatt hours, which is not super great. Um, it's, it's just, it's not good for like the long hauls it seems to be expected to do. I don't know what the deal is here. I don't, I don't know why BHP is interested other than maybe they're trying to show to the investors, hey, we're a green yeah, iron we're ore mining serious. company. They are a mining right. company. You know, yeah. it's, it's kind of worth eating that cost to try and greenwash a bit, maybe. Yeah, mm-hmm. we, we, uh, we, we have these two locomotives on a siding that we use like once a month when the investors come out to see the, uh, see the mines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, not to be outdone, M-Track's getting in on it. Um, cool. Yeah. So Amtrak, uh, this, this was found in a document a while ago. And like we know that Amtrak is buying new um, passenger train sets from Siemens uh, because they've already started working with them for some of their long distance locomotives and their uh, Genesis replacements, which are they're replacing their locomotives from the 90s, uh, which is good. Um, but the, the issue with these are that um, these rail or these train sets that they're getting are based off of the night jet, uh, the OBB, the Austrian night jets in Europe. And those are very good trains. Um, the, the issue is, is that Amtrak, uh, unlike the night jets, which are totally electric overhead wire based, uh, Amtrak wants yes. flexibility. And with yeah, these are totally overhead electric wire cringe. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. And, and, and with, with flexibility comes compromise. And the compromise here is that what instead of having an electric locomotive, you have a diesel locomotive yes, hybrid, worse. which it has it, it can run on overhead wire when it's under wire, but it then it has a diesel locomotive that pulls it when you're not on the corridor or wherever that's electrified. Um, but the, the the super cringe moment comes from the fact that they need to run so so a decent amount of Amtrak services run out of Penn station and specifically out of Penn station. They don't go on the corridor. They actually go up the old New York central's West side uh, connection or line from Penn station all the way to the connection on the Metro North connection along the Hudson river. So, and, and that's about, there's about 10 mile section of track that goes from down like midtown Manhattan to the top of Manhattan to connect with, the the Hudson line. Um, And there is some third rail uh, in there that comes out of Penn Station and the current Genesis locomotives from the 90s have a little third rail pickup on them that just allows it to get out of Penn Station without just filling Penn Station with uh, diesel. Sometimes they don't bother turning Um, off the diesel engine, though. (laughs) Yep. I've seen that. I've seen those. and uh, the uh, so so Amtrak's solution to this is instead of extending the third rail or even uh, doing overhead wire for the, the the short ten miles from Penn Station to the connection on the Hudson, 
uh, they're going to put a battery tender Get on these uh, Empire. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to put a battery tender on these Empire Corridor trains or or any of the sh- medium to short distance trains that run on this corridor. Um, so that would that would include the Empire Corridor, the Ethan Allen, the uh, I think it's the Adirondack and um, I, maybe the Maple Leaf, um, which are all like medium to short distance trains that run out of this section. What are they uh, using so for the Lakeshore Limited? It's <laughs> they probably will use some mixture <laughs> i don't know because they still have to use, like i don't know they're probably gonna use the genesis until they like crumble. They fall apart like the blues uh, brothers car when they pull into penn station <laughs> yeah yeah basically um and like it, yeah it's just frustrating because you can you can easily electrify that section and i guarantee like again metro north similar to long island railroad use third rail and it's one of those things like um, LIRR where eventually they're going to need to put yeah, up wires. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, – it, it's it's definitely like you start you start looking at like how – because like the whole idea of this is um, you can avoid the locomotive changes that are currently a problem on the Northeast Corridor because you have um, the locomotive's diesel, but there's a panograph on the second car, right, an extra powered axle. Um, but, you know, these are um, – uh, you know, th- th- these are sort of kludges, like fundamentally it's a kludge, you know, the, the, especially since so much of this right of way that Amtrak is now running trains on has become state owned. Um, like the stuff that's off the corridor, yeah. it would make sense. Now you have control over the track, just put the wires up yep. as opposed to, you know, assuming that we're going to have this future of, yeah, well, but diesel track. That, that would that would require Amtrak to see to recognize and then seize an opportunity. This is this is Capital true. Cost. Never. This is true. I mean, you're, you're you're looking at, and I mean, I mean, all the way down to Richmond. That's state-owned track now. You know. So yeah, the three corridors that Amtrak could electrify tomorrow if they wanted or applied for the grants are the DC to Richmond corridor, yeah. which is the Virginia right. one. They could do the Empire Corridor, which is the um, basically Poughkeepsie to Schenectady, which is yeah. like your upstate New York stuff. I thought that and was owned by do, CSX. Uh, the... oh. Nope, that's owned by Amtrak. It's just CSX has uh, rights to run freight trains if they want. Yeah. And then the last one is the New Haven to Springfield, Massachusetts corridor, which is entirely and, and, oh, is not fucking electrified already. I they run a lot of trains um, on that corridor too. I was gonna I say. Mean, yeah, and, and they um, uh, Condot also runs their own right. trains uh, from Hartford to right. New Haven too on that. But so I yeah, they could do it tomorrow if they the really want. The battery to. tender here is this entire section at the front of the car that's going to be one huge battery. Rest of it's a passenger car, right? And then and then that battery is there to get you the first two thousand feet out of Penn Station. So goddamn and then it, it also is uh, it's supposed to be able to provide a little bit of extra oomph while accelerating as well, because you're going to regenerate, you know, um, electricity yeah. from the brakes. Like, theoretically, um, <laughs> yeah, theoretically, you can use it similar to that Wobtec locomotive where like on on braking, your dynamic brakes will like it's, it's essentially mm, yeah, like a Prius. Sure. You, you'll you'll generate some energy when you slow down. Um, so it's. 
it's not a terrible idea. It's, it's kind just of, it's, it's kind, kind of, of stupid. Uh, what if we just, uh, what if we just did stuff better? Um, so we go to from a, a, not a great idea to a much worse idea. Um, so this is, Oh, you know, it's bad. <laughs> like from the Nazi super weapons episode, you know, it's bad when you get to something that only exists in drawing form. Yes. Oh, well, Metro has, it's, uh, they, they're notorious for having a lot of interesting and dumb ideas that only would come from them. Yes. Um, the, so, the, uh, yeah. so Metra is the Chicago, uh, commuter rail system and they are, I think one of the most backwards of the big commuter rail systems. And that's saying something, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, really they're a symbol of everything wrong with American passenger railroads. The, Yep. You know, you have lots and lots of trains running not very many services. Um, you have really bad equipment utilization. Um, you have, I mean, I mean, they got like a million stations in Chicago, giant terminals, and they can, you, you know, they're, they're still running old. You fuck all with them. Yeah, old timey. Consolidation. Yeah, old, they're, What's they're that? doing old timey like uh, uh, commuter service where one train makes one run, maybe two runs a day. You have one crew right. to do that. I mean, it's very, very expensive to provide not that much service, right? Um, anyway, they want to electrify. They're like, we, we are going to be the future. And what they did was, rather than go to a manufacturer and try and order, well, ideally, you'd put up wires, right? They don't want to do that. They're, they're, the, they're the future of railroading here at Metra uh, by perpetuating a... Um, frankly, antiquated and racist <laughs> mode of commuter rail service. Yeah, the premium service for white people is basically what it is. Um, mm -hmm. they, they, uh, they, they issue an RFP and said, we're offering a challenge to manufacturers. Hmm. Take four of our old F40PHs. That's the classic M-Track locomotive, but they also had a bunch. And repower these with batteries, right? Um, and, and, and the big part of this is that they, they, are, they have an entirely EMD fleet, despite EMD no longer existing, and they want to keep it that way. Yeah. Right? So they're just going to retrofit and, and, they and keep... retrofit and retrofit. Yeah. Oh, oh, it yeah. gets so it much better. Work. Yeah, I'm so sure it like, does. Beyond this battery locomotive, there is no more EMD locomotives being produced, especially like yeah. passenger ones. And the newer passenger ones that were produced weren't that right. good. F one two five. Cats ownership. F yeah. 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 The F one the F 125s they weren't that good. Uh, they had a, a lot of issues. The only people that bought them was MetroLink in LA. Um, the um, so so <laughs> what Metro is doing besides these battery locomotives is they're taking the SD seventy Mac which is a like freight locomotive uh, for like mm. long distance freight. And they're converting it into a passenger. It's, it's a very bad idea. It's not going to work very well. Yeah. The, the most hilarious thing about that though, is the SD 70 Mac will be the only locomotive that they will have that has AC traction motors. Oh God. <laughs> I love, I love how they're just sort of experimenting. They're just fucking around. Cause you, nobody's buying or selling new locomotives anymore. Apparently. Exactly. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, well, I run a railroad. People based on are. Vibes. Yeah. It's. It, oh no, Metra is like the ultimate example of what if you gave some like backwards ass foamers uh, a railroad to run? What it? What is like, a that's foamer. Metra? That feels like a slower rail. Like, too. It, 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 it's a rail fan, but like the really bad, the really kind. bad kind. Yeah. 
It is a slur. Roz, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Or friend of the show, Jay, if you're listening. Um, I'll go by the term once in a while. So, so, yeah. You're you're reclaiming it. You're reclaiming it. Friend of the show and mascot, Jeremy (laughs) Zorik. So they they sent out this RFP to, to convert four of their oldest locomotives into new modern battery locomotives. Um, they, I believe they, uh, they sent it specifically to a couple firms, um, and none of them responded except of course, progress rail. who were like, yeah, pick us. Yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll fucking do it. They got one. Caspillo yeah. just like, please, we need some yeah. money out of we this. Need, we need to get a little bit of money out of our Should gamble. Close the plant right. in York, you motherfuckers. <laughs> I, I was reading, I was reading like an article that apparently like they reached out to Alstom to try to do this, and Alstom just like sent a polite letter that Look, basically said, like, "You can't do not be do this. serious. <laughs> do not yeah. do Please, this. No, do not do this." <laughs> so now there's a lot uh, of obvious problems with taking the oldest locomotive you have and trying to make it the most modern one, right? But yeah, Singer can do this with Porsches. You can't do this with locomotives. <laughs> I would say this might be you a know. good fit for Metra. Because they have such terrible equipment utilization, you know this thing's gonna. Oh, because it's a railroad run by lunatics. Yeah, sure. this this thing's gonna sit in the yard yes. at uh, at the end of the Rock Island line. Um, it's gonna charge there, and then it's going to make one run. Sorry, in... sorry did you say Cock Island? No, I said Rock Island. Did Rock. you say Big Thick Cock Island? <laughs> no, I did not. Okay, I know. I just want... This is this is the point in the recording where derangement begins to set in. I just wanted to be gross. This is, this, I honestly this, this just is, wanted to be gross. In many ways, when we do a podcast that goes over two hours, and yeah. specifically over two and a half hours, it becomes, in a very literal sense, the audio log found next to like a bloody handprint yeah. on the wall. Yeah. You guys remember Alien yeah. or like Dead Space? Yeah. This is basically what's happening yeah. in real time. It's it's the it's the audio log found by the skeleton yes. sitting on the toilet yes. and fall out. So anyway, what what this locomotive is going to wind up being Ross, used Ross for? Ross perseveres bravely ahead, surrounded by the bodies it, of his fallen <laughs> comrades. It's going to it's going to sit in the yard and charge overnight at the end of the Rock Island line, and then they're going to use it for one run in the morning, and then it's going to sit in the station in Chicago for the whole day and charge, and then they're going to use it for one run in the evening because that's how bad Metra is with equipment utilization. Um, <laughs> it's really bad. It's it's a terrible way to run a railroad, and they're committed to continuing to run it that badly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's a lot of time for charging, though. Maybe the battery locomotive will work out for them. I don't know. Um, Maybe you know, paying yes. a crew a whole day's pay for two and a half hours work. <laughs> and then we get into weird stuff. Oh, this wasn't the weird stuff. Oh, that's pretty weird. No. This is pretty this fucking is, weird. This is pretty <sighs> fucking weird. So, uh, oh, intramotive. Yeah. Intramotive, yeah. I like this idea of this sort of just rogue bears car. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, I've yelled about one of these uh, in one of my videos. Yeah. There's, there's always been this sort of a, um, an attempt to take your like uh, intermodal type vehicles of some sort so you're like container carrying vehicles and make something weird that Mm -hmm. carries containers um this this doesn't have to apply necessarily to the battery vehicles that are here like uh in germany and in japan there's been attempts to make these like uh like either emus so like they 
they're sort of like containers sitting on like flat cars and they have like pantographs where it's just like um where, where it's just like this weird uh emu train that just has containers on it um there, there's been attempts at that there's been attempts at making like weird like um uh attempts at uh kind of like hybrid consists where you have like these diesel powered things that just like only carry like a, a few containers people mm. love containers yeah, people love doing stupid shit with containers it's a universal it's a fun thing. little box that brings you your crap yes it's the, it's the present i uh unwrap but instead of unwrapping it's the the yeah, door creaks sure. open uh, I, I don't my my uh containers trigger me though because i worked at this one warehouse like over a summer once and it was a this is like back in like just out of high school it was um it was one of those jobs where hey i need money uh this pays decently uh dumb idea um and it was a party supply oh. warehouse and it was one of those weird ones As where instead of just being like party supply uh, warehouses yeah like this was an industrial party supply warehouse um the difference being like this is the one where like say you had like a a wedding out in the middle of a field you it's construct that giant canvas tent like out in the field um this is the warehouse that would send you the poles and the tent canvas etc cetera, etc cetera. and like they had shipping containers outside of the warehouse that they stored a lot of the poles in and oh my god we would have to go in these shipping containers with these long ass steel and aluminum poles that banged around on each other inside of a steel container oh my god i i can still hear the ringing from that just insane reverberization inside of these containers uh, hey but what, not, what if one of job. those was just attached to a couple of autonomous vehicles and was just you know moving around the railroad system on on its own sort of imperative so this is so true this is parallel systems concept for an autonomous container moving system Right, you see, they they built what a what prototype if, here. What if all of the advantages of a train? What if we just took those and, and we, and, like a used car battery, threw them in the ocean? Yes. Um, the yes. eels are rebelling. This is this is the perfect metaphor for the thing that we were talking yeah. about earlier with electric cars of making a thing that is only useful when it's done in a collectivist way, because that's how the technology works into mm -hmm. an individualist thing, into an autonomous thing, in a way that yeah. actively hinders it. Yes. So Well we're gonna throw we're gonna throw the beep boop machine at the problem and it's gonna basic, fix it. Uh, basic like... idea of parallel systems is we're gonna do last mile container delivery by rail, right? So uh, this would essentially you'd have a big intermodal terminal, right, where containers would be unloaded from trains or ships or whatever. And then you could load those individual containers onto these sets of bogies here, they are autonomous, which I don't know how that works on a railroad. Um, I know how automatic railroads work. I don't, I don't think you can do an autonomous railroad. If you don't put the word, you put it on the computer and, and the AI yeah. will decide what gets priority. There's already... If you don't put the word autonomous in the name, how will I scam the investors? already centralized dispatching. You don't, you don't need to make it autonomous because you still have to give it orders. 
No, the AI is impossible. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I need a, my need main like a issue robot with a lot of these projects. The side, ready to catch paper orders from like a guy on the side of the tracks. <laughs> Another robot, actually. <laughs> exactly. I think my main problem with a lot of these projects is that they, the people that come up with these often are assuming an idealized world where all the rail infrastructure is just like, yeah. I can just use it. Like, there's no consequences to me using rails. Like, I don't have to think about who owns this. You don't have to think about, like, you know, have to uh, think about like, um, rules about like yeah. reciprocal switching or something like that. You know, you don't have to worry about regulations or deregulations or what yeah, great grade crossings so, What's yeah that? the idea is this is this is last mile delivery this would go to like a small container terminal and then be loaded onto a truck from there You're but um quick. it's it's very strange it was developed by a couple spacex guys um oh. yeah it's well, supposed I mean, to it... have it's supposed to have virtual couplers so you can run a bunch of these together but mm. Why not just actually have just platooning, but for a train? But like, why? Well, I hate they, this place. They already do that. Yeah, they do. They... Um, um, another issue is that you couldn't, for all of this, you still couldn't directly deliver to a customer. Um, no, because boxcars have doors on the side. Yeah, this has doors on the end. This Unless has you doors go, go open on one end, end of the train and like go all the way yeah. down through. To get all of your crap, this has to go to a container yeah. terminal. Yeah, exactly. Right. And uh, as uh, yet, we have been unable to fully automate. Yeah, doors, doors on the end. They're that's trying. very yeah. convenient for trucks, but for trains, it's just not that efficient compared to right, like right. spotting a whole bunch of boxcars next to a building. You can do that very easily in one move, but if you try and do it on the end, that means you're going down and up a whole bunch of switches. It's just not efficient. There's no reason to do it that way. It takes up a lot of space. Um, so we're, uh, you're kind of, you're, you're, you're really taking this and, 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 um, removing a lot of the efficiencies, uh, that even individual boxcars have compared to containers. Um, I don't really see a purpose in this, mm. like at all. It, it just seems like a, uh, it, 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 it's trying to make a container do something that a container really can't do and trying to make a train do something that a train really can't do. And we added AI on top, which means, of course, it's God's own creation and <laughs> perfect. And, you know, angels are sounding trumpets as uh, this thing comes down the tracks. On the blockchain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, atrocious. Yeah. What's so the other one thing? is Intramotev, autonomous rail. And this, so, again, is like make it into a little oh. car. Uh, yeah, this is something which I really don't understand how it works, and their website is very flashy and has no information. It's incomprehensible, yeah. dude. <laughs> but what I understand here, what I've guessed, is you have this large battery pack, and it fits on the front of a railroad car, right? How? And then somehow... Yeah, that's my question, adapters, too. Alice. Okay. Yeah, there's some kind of adapter, but I believe this is designed to yeah. use existing this railroad is, uh, cars. This is easy. This runs on... a. Uh... USB 3 to eSATA. <laughs> actually, it's, there's actually easy. a printer cable back there. Someone finally uses eSATA! We did it! <laughs> Once you toss this big battery pack on the front of the rail car, it can drive the rail car to its destination, regardless okay. of the rail car, which is, I assume, why they showed it covered in graffiti. Um, <laughs> so, but, but, but a locomotive can do that. And in fact, uh, a locomotive uh, can do that with a bunch of different cars at once. Okay, but imagine, imagine yeah, but this. Not the future, Alice, shut up. Imagine this. What if you have six cars for six different customers? Okay, and all I, you need... 
I like All you this. Need are, I like this as, these. as a last mile replacement for trucks. Uh, you, your actual train brings your like stack of 150, uh, uh, you know. Uh, oh, they sort of go out from like the mother. Yeah, exactly. No, no more roads, only rails. And you better look where you're going, otherwise you'll be yes. mown down by one of these because these now comprise all street traffic. Yeah. So, so imagine you have you have six different customers. They need six different Coming cars. Some sort of shipping terminal like all, in South Philly that might actually be. Yeah, useful. All you need are six of these big battery packs, which power these wheels through some way, which I don't understand. Uh, and then they can all be autonomously driven to their destinations. Now, let's think about this in actual railroad terms. Uh, there's a big industrial park near Northeast Philly Airport which might need this kind of six different cars for six different people. But in order to get those cars up the uh, Bridesburg industrial branch there, these cars would have to travel oh, across four tracks of M-Tracks Northeast Corridor. Yes! Uh, <laughs> and they would have to dodge 130-mile-an-hour trains. Yes, yes, Two yes, trains yes, enter. yes. One train leaves. Don't sell this to me like it's a negative. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, yeah. when the when the robot pod decides, hmm, I will get in front of other the way, trains. The today. way you do that now, <laughs> the way you do that now is Conrail brings the cars to the uh, to the junction, uh, and then the dispatcher tells them, "All right, you're clear to go across all the main line." They go across all the main line. Everything goes as a unit, and then they drop off the cars uh, one by one at the industry. Here, it's like the idea is you sort of send these cars off as they're loaded. Which means they arrive at completely unpredictable times at uh, the oh, interlocking. That fine. Great, uh, and that means you're a coward. What are they going to do? Are they going to are they are they going to are they going to try and squeeze the cars in between each passenger train? Are they going to try and or are they just hold them all until the scheduled time when they can all go maybe across until, at once? Maybe <laughs> yeah. they, they hold them until there's five or so ready. Then there are train and they go across train tracks. What's so hard about what? this? You're being uh, playing a game of. <laughs> you're being difficult for no reason to my robot train boys. <laughs> this is playing a game of Frogger, except the frog is a four-ton yeah, container. I, I I I feel like these are missing like fundamental um fundamental realities of how railroads operate. Like you can't um you know you you talk about like completely revolutionizing rail transport. Number one, this is a very revolution-resistant industry. Number two, there's no, there's no way. Oh yeah, there's no way to gradually phase in a system like this outside of maybe some very niche markets. Um, if this is anywhere near a I'm, main line, it's yeah. unusable. <laughs> I'm just amazed that the parallel systems one got past the mm -hmm. renderite phase. Like I'm amazed that they actually made yeah, a prototype. Yeah, and uh, I'm gonna be honest, uh, containers, not really like the primary form of moving stuff outside of like long distance stuff like that. A, a lot of places will get like 53 foot dry van trailers on a truck. You know, you, you get something like that. Containers oh, yeah. are not a lot of distribution centers get like containers. They tend to be limited towards port areas or near like, uh, like uh, whatchamacallit, uh, big inland ports. Um, otherwise everyone likes dry vans better. Uh, <laughs> Well, even the crazy technology called yeah. boxcars. So this is this is kind of missing the point. Uh, this mm. is a solution in search of a problem. Sure, <laughs> uh. but it does use batteries, yeah. and it is autonomous. Which uh, that's I mean, cool. It's the future. It's yeah, the way of the future. 
Yeah, there's still a dispatcher, and I hope they, uh, I, I hope they can figure out how to get it to respond to orders over radio. Um, <laughs> Speaking yeah. of future, so, but people want this to happen anyway. Um, of course, the politicians have gotten in on this, uh, which is fun because battery electric vehicles are the future. Period. Right? You got to mm-hmm. do it. Um, you have, you have. I talked about the government abdicating planning before, but there is an extent to which the government decided, yeah, we'll do some planning, but in the most minimal and worst sense possible. So, for instance, Charlie Baker, governor of Massachusetts, uh, has not been... Go Bruins. Most uh, intelligent yeah, exactly. man. Oh, yeah. not, a, not a very... Um, not... Hey, you want to get to work? Kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. Hey, he's been. He's, I'm not wrong. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah, I'm not yeah, wrong. Yeah, I was about to say. I mean, the way the way the MBTA has been uh, pretty pretty recently, a good chance you might die on it. We've um, had a lot of MBTA episode requests. We finally got Charlie off the MBTA by killing him. <laughs> <laughs> we got him off the MBTA and into the state house. Yeah, no, Char- Charlie. Charlie got off the MTA because they shut down the Orange Line. They kicked him off at Scully yeah, Square. So- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and there's a lot of it's linked to road yeah. projects, unfortunately. So, so, but Charlie Baker recently uh, put in an authoriz- a funding authorization bill for the T, right, which was planning on modernizing a bunch of its commuter lines with electric locomotives. Uh, he put a specific line in the funding bill that they would not be purchasing electric locomotives, but battery electric locomotives, uh. right? And this has screwed up a, a good amount, a pretty long planning process. But, but- I, I see something here. If you look at yes. the picture, there's a little triangle off that big. There's pole. a little little there's triangle. A, a, it's and got, it's, it's and got the wires. It's, it's the wires are already there. They're already there. They're already there. <laughs> yeah, on on uh, on MBTA's Providence line and most of their other lines that branch out into the uh, southern portion, they run on the Northeast Corridor. So it's like there's already, it's already electric. Uh, there's already electric. Uh, you don't uh, even trains. have the capital yeah, costs, yeah. and you still don't want to make them. Yeah, and 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 the MBTA was like pretty. They were looking like they were getting pretty gung ho about like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna put up at least a decent amount of wires. They were still like, well, we'll run battery services on the, uh, unlike the 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 outside of the routes, but like core service would all be electric, right? Now it's, I don't know what they're gonna do. I mean, they might be able to skirt around it by saying, well. These have the capability of drawing from overhead lines as well as running on batteries, but but this is uh I don't know. It's pretty. It's it it, it it's an unnecessary curtailment of um, being able to use existing technology, hmm. uh, technology that's real and works. Um, because yeah, the, the only thing we can do is the impossible is something i always say on, on trash yeah. future it's like yeah this is the only sort of thing that our political settlement makes uh you know makes allowances for is we can only do shit that doesn't work yeah and and the only way you would be able to like do battery electric uh trains um in in in, in a way that uh makes sense there would be electric multiple units of some kind right because they'd be lighter they'd be able to make the runs um, but that would require replacing all of the MBTA's fleet, uh, which is expensive. Um, and you know, that, that, that is, uh, it's just a, a, a bad decision and an expensive one. And here we are. Um, 
Because I don't know if you could do like a bat. Again, we've we've seen that there are no battery electric locomotives in existence yet. Uh, there is one battery electric slug, um, but there's nothing that's like a road locomotive. <laughs> yeah. And um, this is what MBTA is expected to procure. It's, at it's, this it's point. committed to it in the same way that yeah. like uh, so much right. road infrastructure is committed to uh, self-driving. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, they, they want them to buy things that don't exist. Um, right. another one was, right. There's a bunch of, it's just, it's just fucking gadget policy. I honestly don't understand it. There's a bunch of politicians in Los Angeles, mostly in Los Angeles. Ooh. They sent a letter to Pete Buttigieg. Fuck you, Noah. Yeah. They you sent a letter to Pete Buttigieg being like, please stop texting me. Yeah. Ambiguous sort of like phrases. Well, they, California yeah. derogatory. They sent... Burn that state to the ground. They'll do it anyway by themselves. But... Yeah, yeah, that, that's already been happening for a while. Um, they asked him to get California high-speed rail to uh, ditch funding for overhead line because by the time it would be finished, uh, batteries would make overhead lines obsolete. Bro, I swear, right? the technology just needs a bit more investment. It's not there yeah. yet, but any day now. Any, bro, any day promise, now, bro. yeah. Just one then, more round of funding. Yeah. And then, please and then God, to, just uh, give me another seven hundred eighty-five million dollars, and I'll do it. I swear I'll do it. <laughs> it won't just go up my nose. And then they would. Why spend money on capital when I can spend twice the amount of money yeah. on research? Uh, the other thing, the other thing they wanted to do was have that money diverted to transit projects in the L.A. area. Right now, Lower this back. did not happen. Thank God. Right, but also because of because of Dark Pete. People. People are really. Judge has activated yeah. the laser eyes. Wait, no, and he's wait, like, wait, 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 dark Pete. You mean Obama? <laughs> that feels. I. I is that I, racist? I can't tell. I am. Um, well, Pete talks like Obama. Oh God, like, he does. Like, Fuck. He does, okay. Yeah. Okay. You've, yeah. you've talked me out of this being racist. Now, fine. I'm on All board. Right. <laughs> I don't know. You have to consult Chris. Mm, yeah. <laughs> It's fine. And anyone who's listened this far in is, yeah, is not going to be that exercised about whether or not we're cancelled. Yeah. You, you don't. You don't make this kind of commitment idly. But like, people true? are really into this battery stuff. Like, it's supposed to be complete magic, right? Um, you know, this is this is the future, and the old ways are dying. Uh, and and it's just not the case. I mean, if you well, look, it's not innovation, but like, I, I think there's this tendency. You know, we've seen, we've talked about this a million times, especially in the United States, it feels like for these sort of what you talked about, you know, back at Franklin, AMF app, yeah. you know, we talk about these, these sort of um, gadget bonds or, you know, hyperlink or this or that or whatever it's called. I don't care. Uh, Hypertext transfer I, protocol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> dude, I'm tired. And I'm hungry. We're all, and tired. Gonna, We're all hungry. Well, uh, I, I think we talk about, yeah, but it's, it's important. I think, you know, one of the things too is that this this is used to sort of innovation as a weapon, basically. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, where uh, it's or that maybe not as a weapon, but certainly as a cudgel. Yes. And we you see these things certainly, and I think you see these in cities all the time. We we see it in Philly, where you know there's the where we have we're not talking about buses even, but we got battery buses and none of them are fucking in service. Yeah, Why? Oh, because the frames all crack. Yeah. What's all of them. Gadget. Every... Gadget bonds are the star citizen of transportation. Yeah, it, yeah, and you should be wary when people, 
you know, post some to here and shot and thought shit and are just like, oh, this is this flying bus is going to change how we think about. No, it's not. No, it's fucking not. The best autonomous vehicle driving program right now is GM Super Cruise, and they have to manually program the roads into the into the program by hand. They have to go on their little scanning cars and scan the road like that's not that's that's innovation not even for innovation's sake, but innovation just to, as a selling yeah, just point. to avoid well, doing nil. anything practical. Well, is it better? No, it's yeah. not. Right. But like, this, there's this idea that new means better, and it doesn't necessarily mean that. Give me my fucking headphone jack back. Yeah, exactly. Um, sometimes... Oh, well, it's more waterproof. Suck a dick. <laughs> to, to paraphrase a show that I forgot the name of, uh, sometimes things that are new are worse. You, you, you're, you're paraphrasing <laughs> The Marvelous Life of Caleb Gallo there. Yes, that's the one, yeah. <laughs> wow! <laughs> no, we, we, don't, we don't disrespect Freckle on this show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so the... Your media knowledge is, is beyond my comprehension, Alice. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll send you that video, because it's yeah, great. It's a good one, yeah. Um, so the... Uh, uh, people are getting way into this battery stuff, even though it's not very good it is mm -hmm. not international standards it is not something that anywhere else is considering on the scale that it's being considered in the united states like it is it, for mainline service everywhere that has good functional railroads battery technology outside of branch lines is a joke it's not real um Hydrogen trains too, but that's another situation. Mm. Um, the the you know, lesson here, as always, is go nuclear. Yeah, uh, there's a fundamental like physics problem at the end of the day. The physics issue with batteries versus overhead line electrification, right? Which is the train that carries its fuel with it is always going to be inferior to one which does not carry fuel with it, just from a performance standpoint, right? It's lighter it has infinite range it has fewer things on it to go wrong you know a high speed rail or high density rapid transit service would be impossible with battery systems right now cuz it'd be too heavy and the performance would be too bad you know if you got to if you got to like start batteries weigh shit yeah yes. batteries are heavy yeah. batteries um they and then, and, very and, dense and, and, and then when, uh, when we're not even talking about firefighting efforts no. like a giant uh, cargo, you know, freight train on fire, full of batteries and other combustibles, is not a yeah, thing and, you want to think and about. And there are consumable or a subway train. There are consumable parts. <laughs> oh, yeah, like the, yeah. the, the, the yeah. charge on them will run down over time. And at that point, yes. you have to take them all out of the train, throw them in the ocean, yeah. build a bunch yeah. of new batteries, and put oh, them in. Essentially, a new locomotive. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. It's ridiculous and it's wasteful. And these people just simply don't give a shit because they're so enamored with the idea that everything can just be batteries and everything has to be the most convenient it can possibly be. And I'll say this as someone who owns four hundred dollar headphones that are battery based. I'm a fucking idiot. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think a large portion of this just comes from the fact that like people relate to the things that they use most often. I think that's and absolutely true. And and like and who not doesn't only understand your, a battery, you know? Yeah, pretty much. And it's like not only your phone and all the stuff, like all the tech gadget wisdom jigs that people buy nowadays. It's also the fact that like in the United States, just a lot of this train infrastructure just doesn't exist here for a lot of people. Yeah. So they don't understand that like, hey, 
we can do this in like other parts of the US. It's not impossible. But instead, they just default to be like, well, my car runs on a battery. I get the locomotive shit too. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's, it's just the small brain thinking. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I think a lot of it is I've had this, this thought, and I know we're just sort of uh, riffing at this point, but I, I always got mad at people who treated computers like they were appliances. Mm. That, oh, you just, and, and I think a lot of people think of their car. And think of a train basically as just a giant appliance. Sure. That, Especially with these new ones, they look like a fucking should, fridge right. or whatever. Right. Why should yeah. I have to ever <laughs> consider like why I, why I look at And I think there's also, besides those of us who are really into trains, the average person see, well, A, why wouldn't you fly? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm talking like moron takes, but I always get a laugh out of Alan and Roz. You may do this too. We talked about this on the train, but people who book trains during the Amtrak Thanksgiving rush that oh, have no, like people... Marta equipment, not Marta, um, Mark equipment yeah. and shit like that. And are at NJT equipment and are like, how come I was promised Wi-Fi? How come it doesn't have Wi-Fi? Fuck you, Amtrak. And it's like, well, cause you didn't look at your ticket. You it's also read. because like, yeah. but you people, didn't know oh what God. to look for. Yeah. My, my least favorite Twitter post of all time is always the person that posts like the DC to New York City, like Amtrak ticket versus plane ticket. And they're like, policy failure. Cause it's like the day of Amtrak ticket that's like mm -hmm. really expensive. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my fucking God. It's like, yeah, they're right in some way. But at the same time, it's also like, oh, there's so many levels of things that you should talk about first. Well, I, uh, I feel like um, a large. I think the, the answer is clear. Uh, we demolish New York, all of it. We keep Grand Central and we keep Penn Station. We rebuild Penn Station brick by brick, of course. I, I'll go full return on this shit. Rest of it leveled. You can move to Albany for all I fucking care. I, Leave the, it. The, the it's, most, it's just a train depot the, now. The most efficient form of, of logistics is uh, a train running off overhead line electrification, and the electrification is supplied by a nuclear power plant. Yes. We, we, yeah, yes. welcome to the Northeast welcome Corridor. To, welcome to Philly. We, no, we build, uh, Northeast build... Corridor is mostly hydro. Oh, right, because that's right, you're we, right. We build fault. a shitload of those, we attempt to, like, make them as climate-proof as possible, which probably will involve some really weird ways of cooling nuclear plants in the future. Yeah. Uh, but that is a surmountable engineering challenge. We do all of that, ideally we transition to a form of economy where you buy fewer sex asses that travel less distance to get to you, and uh, if things, it's gonna be fine. That's, that's the solution. Know. Buying a locally made uh, Amish sex arse Union. from the uh, <laughs> yeah. from, from the farmers market. Yeah, either you buy fewer bark. sex asses, or you buy sex asses that are produced more sustainably, or mm -hmm. uh, you, you know are, are delivered mm -hmm. to you in a more collaborative and more consensual fashion. Uh, or I, I don't know, but like but th that's the solution. That's what we want yeah. to get to. Everyone knows it, and everyone is trying to like right. sell you something and distract you and keep you like off yeah. of that one shit that everyone knows that we need to do by being like, yeah. check out this cool new shit that doesn't fucking work. Yes. And the podcast. Yeah. And well, the other thing is, you know, freight locomotives. We there might be a little. The last slide. I know. I know. A... I'm. I'm trying to. Maybe there's there's. There's a little bit oh, of a case oh. for batteries and freight locomotives just because batteries are heavy and freight locomotives need to and be heavy. And it doesn't matter. There's a case for lead weights in, in, yes. in fucking so, freight locomotives. Yeah, some so of them the, have the like only... concrete blocks in them, actually. Cool. Uh, especially slugs. So the, only, <laughs> the only use for batteries I can see in railroading, like a serious use, is um, so when you do have electrification of like 
trains with the, like the, the, the good kind yes. uh, with the wire. Uh, generally, when you do regenerative braking and you put power back into the wires, sometimes there's not anything that's using the section of wire that you're currently yes. on that um, that could use that power uh, to accelerate. So basically, all you're doing is you're raising the voltage of the wire when you regenerative uh, the the power back into it. And that's obviously kind of wasteful because when you raise the voltage, all you're doing is just making basically just a bigger resistive grid, just miles a month yes. long. Um, so the the best use of batteries is to put them in like a shed next to the the like electrified section, and just when you regen brake on the the train, the excess like higher voltage goes back into these batteries. And later, if there's another train that's accelerating, uh, the grid can adjust and the batteries can feed back into the line instead of you getting your power from somewhere else. Yes. It's like the that's so down case. on the list, I feel like. Uh, SEPTA's already yeah. done like a big project to add those kinds of batteries. London have a, a the... prototype bus that had a curse system? I, I don't remember. I, mm, my brain, uh, like my bra- my brain is mush. SEPTA. Essentially, this is like a curve system, except the curve system is not located on the vehicle. No, I understand. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. SEPTA did a big project to uh, bring those kinds of batteries to the Market Frankfurt line, and I believe that worked out pretty good, but I am not sure. But it sounds like I it would work out pretty good. I to inform you that I have to leave. Oh, yes. okay. Well. Have fun with dinner. Thank you. Uh, I will mute myself. Okay. Thank you, listeners. I guess my... Have a good night. Good night. All right. I guess my final yeah. conclusion here is sort of, um, you know, we're going down this battery road. And it, we talked a lot about the dysfunction of American railroads. And again, I, I focus on American railroads because they are some of the most dysfunctional in the world. I mean, we are, we, we are sold this idea that American railroads are the greatest in the world oh constantly. And it is, it's oh all God. propaganda. It's, it. I, yeah, no, I, I constantly tell people, people are like, are, don't we have the most efficient freight network? I'm like, no, you've been gaslit. <laughs> you've been gaslit, yeah. girl. No. Hey, hell, look, look at this. I mean, <laughs> look at this Indian Railways train right here on That's the cool. screen in front yeah. of you. It's gigantic. It's electric powered. They got double stacks. I love you know? the panogram. Oh, my God. It's so tall. I love. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and of course, China has all those high speed trains, you know, but if you're like looking purely in terms of freight, you are, you are, you, you see a lot of statistics that sound impressive, but actually you start looking into the details and it's like, Jesus Christ, how do they get any trains out at all? Yeah, um, it's well, it's, you know, but people, people gaslight us into thinking this because the railroads make money and that's the only thing that matters and, is that. Yeah. yeah. And if you're electrifying a railroad purely for reasons of environment and you don't want to change anything about how they operate poorly. Maybe, yeah, maybe you could use batteries and you could still have really shitty railroads at the end of the day. Right. But if you want something, uh, a modern effective railroad system that serves more customers actually benefits the environment has better working conditions for workers has like, you know, schedules has like good passenger trains has all the, all the, all the nice things that other countries have. Um, and you can do that without reducing freight volumes, probably increasing them even. You have... You're basically yeah. talking about Switzerland. Yeah, I'm talking yeah. about Switzerland. And Switzerland mm. doesn't have battery trains. They're increasing overhead line electrification. That's always going to be the superior technology. And you have to develop a mindset where you invest in infrastructure rather than investing in 
fancier vehicles because we're looking at a situation capital cost we're looking at a situation where we're going to have you know these these billion dollar locomotives on 10 mile an hour track i mean <laughs> this is yeah this this whole thing this this there's there's just a disconnect here that needs to be fixed and overhead line electrification on some of america's densest rail lines busiest rail lines is an obvious thing to do um you know some of these freight train lines they get like 60 70 trains a day maybe you want to centralize the 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 power distribution there i don't know i i but this is we're so far behind that we're considering crazy technology it's it's desperation is what it is it's not I think, yeah, I think my favorite thing is that like, if we do keep the current system and do not change it whatsoever, but like force these companies to electrify, I guarantee they will just take the current like Jeevos and SD70s and just like slap pantographs on them. That would be cool. Um, Yeah. Actually be not as bad. Yeah. Yeah. It would kind of be cool, honestly. Yeah. All right. Well, what do we learn? Nothing. The, the, uh, no. No, nothing has been learned. Battery frustrating. Yeah, bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Battery okay under battery certain very sometimes fine circumstances. Okay. Um, otherwise bad. Yeah, it's just, all right, just don't do it. Just don't, don't do it. Uh, it's a bad idea. Uh, safety third? Safety third. Safety third. Shake hands for danger. Hello, Justin, Alice, yay, Liam. No, Liam ducked guest. out early. No, oh, Liam ducked no, out. Liam. Yeah, Li- Liam. Liam wasn't wasn't tough enough for a three yeah. hour podcast episode. I was about to say, maybe we can come in under the wire. I don't know. Mm. Um, my story comes to you today from the world of sailing. Nice. There have been several times. Oh, I do that. There have been several times over the years I've shaken hands with danger that I thought about sharing with you all, from nearly drowning in a capsize, my bosun's chair harness coming undone while fifty feet up a mast. We're almost getting electrocuted on a yacht in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Man, I, sometimes I don't like getting a train too far from my apartment because I'm like, what if I get sick and I need to go home? This is why I would <laughs> not be in the middle of the Atlantic. Yes. Uh, well, maybe you could have a big ship with a doctor on it. Have you considered that? Yeah, that's the thing. I need to be subscribed to the Patreon so I can get rich enough so I can have like a private medical a, a staff, person, like the president, personal, personal physician who follows yeah, you. Around. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, you get your own battleship. Yeah. yeah. Oh well, there you go. Uh, since this is a podcast with slides, however, I figured a story with a photo would be most appropriate. My tale relates specifically to the Texas amateur big boat racing circuit. We're wealthy oil men, <laughs> lawyers. The good, good. That's yeah, this is, this is the, the, like the only regatta that has the guy who arranged for JFK's assassination in it. Yes. <laughs> Where wealthy oil men, lawyers, tech bros, rednecks, and the occasional old Austin hippie all race aging sailboats at lakes and bays across Texas for everlasting glory and, more importantly, bragging rights. Hmm. While drunk middle-aged men with large boats and larger egos is certainly not the best combination for safety. Our beautiful boaters. <laughs> our beautiful boaters. <laughs> the worst that usually happens is the odd collision from time to time. This story actually takes place off the water at a lake in central Texas. Like many lakes in Texas, it was a reservoir created courtesy of the Army Corps of Engineers damming up a river in the early 60s for flood prevention. 
This particular lake was in a canyon with steep sides and necessitated a very steep and intimidating boat ramp to be carved into the canyon wall to bring boats from the yacht club on a ridge down to the water. Mm. I've been in a boat club like this, but it was on the uh, Occoquan Reservoir, um, which is not a canyon. It's just a steep valley. Um, yeah. for, for, you know, we throw your boat down this concrete slide. Well, I was, I was rowing, so we had to carry the boat Jesus, down the man. hill. And then worse, when we were finished the race, we had to carry it back up. You're like those sort of like those those mountain goats who like yeah. uh, you know graze on the side of gravity dams. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like uh, it's like all right, congrats on doing well in the race. Your prize is you get to walk up uh, about eight eighty feet of mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Time for leg day. Ah, we just had leg day. Now it's leg day two point oh. <laughs> you, you just use, you use one leg when you're rowing and the other one when you're walking it's fine oh there you go there you go i just sort of hop the yeah. whole way up yeah yeah uh, so uh this incident occurred on a sunny saturday morning a few hours before racing was scheduled to begin while many teams had launched their boats from the trailers prior to the evening i wish we had a trailer um <laughs> so several late arrivals still needed to get their boats in the water the regatta organizers had established a system where one trailer would be backed down the ramp and unloaded into the water, while another trailered boat would wait at the top, ass end down. The ramp was just wide enough to fit two trailers, so when one trailer was unloaded, it would be driven up to the top as the other trailer would back down the ramp. This is so smart. Art sounds efficient to me, yeah. as long as no one screws up. It's like a cableway, um, but with, you know, uh, Fords. Oh. Yes. Our team had already splashed our boat, so I had gone up the ramp to help myself to the free breakfast tacos at the clubhouse atop the cliff. Understandable. Cool yeah, that sounds nice. I was walking back down the ramp, beer in one hand and chorizo and egg tacos in the other. <laughs> that sounds really good right now. Mm. When I heard a loud bang followed by someone shouting from the top of the ramp, I turned to look. I would not turn to look. I've got my taco. I've got my 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 my, my beer. My, beer, my yeah. delicious beer. My Shiner Bach. That that is that is someone else's problem. I'm yeah, gonna go exactly. sit on a picnic table and I'm gonna eat this. To my surprise, I saw a boat laden trailer without any attached vehicle hurling down the ramp towards me. <laughs> I dove to the side, narrowly avoided being. <laughs> ah, see, this flat is the thing. I would have been killed, but I would have died happy. <laughs> yes. I dove to the side, narrowly avoided being flattened like a Goomba by l roughly four tons of steel wooden fiberglass. The truck at the bottom of the ramp, still in the process of unloading their own boat, was not so lucky. See attached picture. Yep. Yep. Donk. Miraculously, the only casualties were a sprained knee sustained by the driver of the truck at the bottom when he jumped out of the way, and my spilled Shiner Bach. No, I, I know, I know, no. I know. It's, those are good beers. I like a nice Shiner Bach. Shiner Brewery is a good brewery. Uh, this was not a paid endorsement. I just like it. Um, <laughs> Texas Germans, good people. Hmm. Apart from the ones who've gotten really right wing. Uh, <laughs> mm. Anyway. Oh, and the truck ended up being totaled due to the damage. Yeah, it looks up. I... You know, you know, I feel like a good body shop could fix that. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like the hit by boat thing is kind of going to be a detriment. 
Yeah, there might be frame damage. Could be frame that damage. That's issue. true, but I, maybe maybe not. I don't know. I think to the A pillar would probably be the ah, issue. That might do it. Yeah. The cause of the runaway boat trailer was due to an improperly locked trailer coupler that popped off the tow hitch when the trailer backed over the top of the ramp. <laughs> this can occasionally happen if the coupler isn't checked after attaching the trailer to the hitch, and free-spirited trailers will usually be kept in check by safety chains. Unfortunately, this particular boat owner had simply spot-welded his sh- safety chains directly to the trailer frame. <laughs> yeah, for safety. Yeah, what's stronger and, than a weld? I learned this from uh, Gary's mod. I, I, I uh, uh, what's stronger? Not only a weld, but a spot what, weld. Well, that's fine if it's stainless steel. Um, no, what's stronger? Well, what's it's probably just what's steel. stronger than a weld is a good weld. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, he spot welded his safety chains directly to the trailer frame, and the cha- the chains tore clean off the trailer when it broke free. The racing had to be delayed for a few hours so a tow truck could come take away the ruined vehicle, but the regatta continued without further incident. The next year, the regatta organizers instituted a safety checklist that every boat owner was required to sign before going down the ramp, so I suppose they learned their lesson. There haven't been any further accidents, but I'm always wary when I walk down that particular ramp. Yeah, no kidding. It killed your Shiner Bock and also almost you. I was about to say, yeah, it's, those are two tragedies right there. <laughs> That's right. Um, on a personal note, I wanted to thank you all for providing me with lots of laughs and fun, esoteric knowledge over the past few years. I've been hey, a fan pleasure. since before the first episode of Well, There's Your Problem. I got hooked on Franklin when it just came out, and I'm happy to see how far you all have come. Here's to many more hours of disaster-based entertainment. Sincerely, M. Oh, It's M from... James, James Bond. Bond this is yes. M. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, 007, what do you know about China Bach? <laughs> we know about sailboats. <laughs> well, sir. What do you know about trailer hitches? <laughs> <laughs> uh, James Bond doesn't know shit about trailer hitches, I imagine. Spot yeah, welds. Yeah. Now, observe, what, great J- secret agent, shitty welder. 007, this is a standard trailer hitch. <laughs> so if you press here and here this this welder will only react to your fingerprint now listen 007 this is a MIG welder <laughs> <laughs> from Lincoln Electric MI5 is cutting back or is it MI6 I forget which yeah, one yeah yeah MI6 yeah <laughs> We had to go to Harbor Freight. <laughs> <laughs> or no, Harbor Freight is Chicago Electric, excuse me. Um, Same difference. Right. We've, we, uh, we've been cutting back for a while. This that's, is true. And safety third. That's safety third. Shake hands with danger. Um, our next episode is on the Boston Molasses disaster. Does anyone have any commercials before we go? You, you know all of our stuff. Yes. Uh, I, I do a YouTube channel, uh, and uh, they're, they're cool videos. So yeah, that stuff. Yeah, all right. That. Yes, go go. It's it's just under my name. If you can't find it, I'd be surprised. Yeah, we can link it in the description. Yeah, in between the Pete Booth Judge link, um, along with many yeah. other things. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, that was a podcast. Yep. Three three hours two minutes forty eight. Uh, it was a train episode, you dirty fucks. You got what you wanted. I was about to say, yeah, yeah, you, 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 you paid for this. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, All right. Well, bye, everyone. See y'all. Bye.